Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Strip away the gold and the ornaments, knock down the statues and the pillars, and this is what remains. Something simple, solid, and true. The Tyrell's finery will be stripped away. Their lies knocked down, their true hearts laid bare for all to see. And so it will be for all of us, high and low alike. What will we find when we strip away your finery? When you play the game of microphones, you win or you die. From within the house of black and white, it's Sir Duncan and Lady Rachel. Good morrow, pit fighters and shame septas, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, aka Dark Warrior. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, creator of Casseroles. And joining us tonight is a special guest host, Lady Hannah of House ATN, the Fawning Wolf. Welcome to Game of Microphones, Lady Hannah. Thanks for having me. Yes, welcome. Yeah, it's going to be fun. This is episode 89. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season 5, episode 7, The Gift. And in case you're not already aware, this series Rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season 7. If not, there's still time to cozy into the embrace of the long farewell, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. 
Man, so this is a crazy episode, right? Yes. Yeah. Queens are dropping like flies. Yeah. It's a pretty good episode. It's like got the unique thing where it's sandwiched in between the best and worst episode of Game of Thrones. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Unbound, Unbent, and Broken is probably my least favorite episode, and Hard Home's like the best the show's ever done. Right, Right? yeah. Hard Home is next level. Oh, I can't wait. What did uh what what did you dislike about Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken? I don't know, like obviously the whole Sansa thing. Like I read these books when I was pretty young and she's oh, always nice. been my favorite character. So like I don't know when you identify that much with someone, it's hard to see that, but Totally. What did you think Ooh, about yeah. the uh the sand snakes and how they translated onto TV from the books? That too, because I'm like a House Martell stan and seeing what happened on the show. Like, it was just a shame they didn't have the budget to really make it work. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, it would have been, you know, ideally I would have wanted 300 episodes of like, like four, hour, <laughs> four hours a piece, you know, so they did what they could. Got to give them at least a bit of credit. But yeah, it does suck. <laughs> How about you, Rachel? What are your uh, thoughts on this one? I, I like this episode. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's some really awesome moments here, especially for Sansa. We always love Lady Olena, and oh, she yeah. has a couple good moments in this episode as well. Totally. And um, Danny is stepping into her kind of agreement with what she promised his dar, and it's proving kind of to be more difficult than she expects. So for sure, it, it's again another learning opportunity for her to step into her role as a ruler and not a conqueror. Absolutely. Would you like to start with your number three, Lady Rachel? Sure. So my number three is Dario and Danny. Nice. And I felt that this was an important scene for to show kind of Dario's impact on Danny and Danny's growth into having to kind of put aside maybe what she wants to do for something that she has to do. And I love when Dario, he's like, marry me instead. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, even if I wanted to, I couldn't do such an inadvisable thing. And Dario makes a point. He's like, why not? You're the queen. You can do whatever you want. And Danny's like, no, I can't. And Dario goes, then you are the only person in Marine who's not free. Right. Even slaves have a choice, death or slavery. It's just so brutal. It's like she ha- she ponders that, too. Like she raises her eyebrows. She kind of like looks mm-hmm. away and she's like, damn, that's a true statement. Oh, and you know how I always talk about um, individualism versus collectivism and how it's important to preserve individualism and never sacrifice the individual for the better of the collective. Um, in this case, that you can sort of make an exception to that rule when it comes to a leader. And oftentimes a leader um, m- must sacrifice their own needs for the benefit of the collective. Yeah, It's not really an exception to the rule, though, because it's, it's voluntary still. Which is exactly what Danny's doing here, because um, when when you're in this set sort of position of power, you're res- you have a, a more intense responsibility to the people that you're protecting. Yeah, I can agree with that, and um, it just it just kind of goes to show that she's growing and not as you know mad king like as maybe 
she can act. She does have a sense of, you know, well-being around her as far as, like we've talked about before, kind of weighing her, weighing her options and deciding what's best. So she does, she does say to Daria, which I like, she goes, you know, I think he knows that this is completely political and you're going to basically be in my bed every night, but I'm going to be married to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It's like, uh, how long before the king of Marine comes to claim my pillow? <laughs> She's just like, yeah. don't be ridiculous. His dart knows that this is political. I think he's smart enough to, you know, to get that. Yeah, <laughs> Pretty classic. It's just, um, it's an important moment for her, I think, realizing the sacrifices that she's going to have to make, mm-hmm. probably more frequently than she realizes even in this moment. Oh, yeah, definitely. To be a, a good ruler. And I liked, um, I liked Dario's idea where he says, uh, I know I'm here to serve and not to give advice, but can I make one more suggestion? On the day of the great games, gather up all the great masters and wise masters and worthy masters you can find and slaughter them all. And I, it's just kind of funny because it sort of foreshadows that they try to do that exact thing to her. Yeah, <laughs> Slaughter her at the great games. At the great games. Yeah, so Dario's thinking like a, like, like a G, basically. He's trying to figure out what, what needs to be done and how to do it, even no matter how ruthless it may be. Um, so Danny's like, you know, I'm not a, I'm, I'm a queen, not a butcher. I thought that was a funny line because it references the, uh, the butcher Cleon from the books. Yeah. He rose up to conquer Astapor after Danny left. Yeah, because she put the council in Astapor and then that all went to hell pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So I thought that was kind of funny just referencing uh, how she's a queen, not a butcher. Um, and then uh, Dario has a great line which I know that our friend and listener, Princess Sarah of House Christine, likes also. All rulers are either butchers or meat. I thought that was really cool. It's a pretty harsh reality. <laughs> yeah, and she's just sort of sitting there left to uh, absorb it. And it's it's a cynical view, but there's definitely a case to be made <laughs> in favor of this assessment. Yeah, it's like, I think it's interesting because the show's version of Dario is a much softer version than the books, but that's like one of the very few lines they actually kept of his, like straight from the book. Right. Oh, really? That's cool. That's true. Yeah, Dario's pretty wild in the books. Do you know anything about the book character, Rachel? Um, I know that he has like a purple beard and <laughs> yeah. like gold teeth or something. Like, I know he's quite interesting looking, but I'm... I'm not too far into the books to know like him at this at this um, point in the series. Sure. Yeah, I was just going to comment on his appearance, the big purple forked beard and whatnot. <laughs> Pretty great. He might have blue hair also. Is that right, Hannah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has like the blue beard and then he left his mustache like blonde. So it's very... <laughs> That's really weird. I don't know if I could find it, but it's like this great illustration of what he's supposed to look like. He's just like a character you cannot bring to the screen. He's too over the top. Right, exactly. That's one thing that they tried to do with the original Game of Thrones pilot. They were very true to the book, and some of the characters were just too outrageous to translate well to screen, apparently. So they went back through and tamed some of the stuff, and toned things down and too bad because George R. R. Martin had a cameo in the original pilot, which no longer exists. I wonder why he didn't do a cameo in 
the actual like pilot that aired. <laughs> well, I know everybody would say because he better have been writing. You know, <laughs> he should have been writing. <laughs> You're chained to your desk until eternity. <laughs> yeah. You guys remember that uh, that skit on Conan? where they they installed cameras in George R R Martin's house and they're watching him like do everything except writing like he starts he he like stands oh, no. up suddenly and walks towards the the library and the narrator Conan I think is like oh oh he's going to do it he's, he's got an idea he's going to sit down and write and he walks over and sits down and instead of reaching for his pen he grabs a set of bongos and just like dum, 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 <laughs> and the bongos it's ridiculous oh my god I have to watch that. I have not seen that before. We'll post a link for it on Facebook. It's classic. Anything else you want to add about that scene? No, that was all I had. So what is Hannah's number three? Yeah, what you got, Hannah? Slightly broad, but it's kind of just everything that happens in the North this episode. Cool. Okay. Like, you got the stuff of Winterfell and then, like, the wall. And I didn't want to, like, group them together, but... I didn't have room in my top three to keep them separate, so. (laughs) Sure. I think, like, Maester Aemon dying is obviously, like, the biggest thing Uh. that happened in the North this episode, and he's got to be, like, the only person who died of natural causes in the show, right? Yeah, I think so. Yes, he is. I have that in my notes. Probably the happiest, uh, happiest death we've experienced so far, and it was still so sad. They kept that heartbreaking line from the book, the egg, I dreamt I was old. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, Every that time. that was so sad. It's so rough. Really, really rough to watch. And this is the second episode in a row that we've had um, a death of a beloved character. You know, That's last true. Uh, last week we discovered Barristan was dead. And this week we have Maester Eamon passing away. And uh, it's so hard to watch every time. For the rewatch. Yeah, for the rewatch, exactly. They, um, I think it's interesting how much of like the book dialogue they cut from his dying, though, because like, he talks a lot about prophecy, and I wonder what the motivation to cut it was. Oh, wow, that's true. It's been a, it's been a hot minute since I've read the books. So i got to read them again because I'm starting to forget things. Yeah, I started rereading them a couple months ago. I'm still on Clash right now, but... <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> What does he say about prophecy? Is there anything that you remember? That's, um, I'm trying to, I think you knew a little bit about it before, but, because like, Melisandre is always talking about Azora High, but he really talks about the prince that was promised, and oh, he, like, right. thinks it was Danny, and says how he wished he could have been there, because, like, she really needed someone to teach her, and who knows what she's doing without him. Isn't it Eamon in the books who brings up the uh, sort of gender-neutral gen, uh, gender Valyrian language um, of the word referring to dragon? And so he mentions that it may have been the princess that was promised, basically. Isn't that in, in this scene? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, because I know he thinks it's Danny who's the prince that was promised. Right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So they left it out of this scene here for the show, but then they added it with Miss Sunday, um in season seven, I believe it is, when they're meeting with Melisandre. Yes, that's right. Interesting, yeah. So I wonder what the motivation was to cut it from here. Maybe because we're going to find out who that is in season eight, and... They wanted to put it in a little bit later mm. so people will remember that it could be a woman. Makes sense. Anything else you want to say about uh, Eamon's scene here, Lady Hannah? I think that's it. There was, uh, I thought it was interesting how he was touching the little baby, baby Sam, and thinking of Egg, and the laugh reminded him of Egg. 
And so it's it's kind of nice to um, be for Eamon to be having such vivid memories of his family as he's dying. You know, it's been so long since he's seen any of them, but I bet he felt sort of comforted um, right before his death seeing egg and telling him that mother's looking for him and everything. And it must have just been a sort of a pleasant way for him to go back with his family and everything like that. It was kind of poetic. It's like he's in a dream state. Yeah. So sad though. Cause like he's thought he's alone this whole time, but John's his family too. And as soon as John leaves, like he's not there to see him. Exactly. Oh yeah. Oh, and John left this so episode. Harsh. Oh, yeah, it's really uh. sad. And then he dies. Yeah, that's crazy. So he died alone, even though he had family there. Mm-hmm. Really sad. I love when he says a little bit earlier in the episode, um, you know, Sam and Gilly are laying kind of over him. And he says, you know, Egg and Sam tells Gilly, you know, that's his little brother, Aegon. He became, you know, he became king. And, and before that, he was a jolly fellow. Like this one. And he goes, get him south, Gillyflower, before yeah. it's too late. And I love how he calls her Gillyflower. I think that's so cute. Yeah. And, like, so genuine. Yeah, it shows you that he likes her, too. And um, the way that he said that Egg was a jolly fellow before he was king. Yeah. I thought that was uh, sort of telling it, kind of harkened back to his comment to John was it last episode where he tells him, yeah, to kill the boy, let the man be born. There will be no joy in your command. Um, and I, I, he must have, that's something that apparently egg experienced as well. You know, before he was a King, he was jolly. And then being a King, he probably was put through all sorts of dilemmas in a similar uh, style to John, because if I remember correctly, egg was like a pretty moral and just leader as well. I imagine there are some good, good parallels between him and Jon Snow. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, because like in Duncan Egg, Egg is like such like a sweet, like innocent kid. But then in all the stuff we know about his reign from like the world of ice and fire and stuff, he seems to have gone off the deep end a little bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't remember much about his reign. Because like um, he's what caused the tragedy at Summerhall because he was trying to hatch the dragons. Because he thought it didn't matter if people agreed with him as long as he had dragons. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, Rhaegar was born, right? Yeah. So we we gained oh, Rhaegar, okay. lost Sir Duncan the Tall, lost Egg, lost a number of other people at um, the tragedy at Summerhall as well. What a crazy event that was. Yeah, it's too bad they don't go over that in the show. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll get it in a prequel or something, or eventually if yeah. they come out with the Duncan Egg series, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Like the tragedy at Summerhall is probably like what I'm most obsessed with finding answers about because like oh. it has to be some sort of importance to the main story because when he released the world of ice and fire, George made sure to spill ink all over the details of what happened. Oh, really? <laughs> the bastard. I don't remember that. That's so funny. I gotta look, I gotta crack that book open again too. Yeah, because he wanted to, like, with each individual copy, spill real ink on the page, but his publishers were worried people would complain that they got, like, a bad copy. <laughs> that's actually a pretty oh, clever awesome. idea. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that's funny. So what else happened in the North that you want to talk about? The conversation between Sansa and Ramsay at Winterfell was, like, super interesting to me. Yeah, he's. it starts off with he's, he's just grilling her, looking at her like he's going to, like... 
I don't even know. And then he just turns into a creepy smile all of a sudden. Ugh. So gnarly. He's starting to lay the seeds of his own demise, though, because I don't think Sansa ever would have gone north with John if not for Ramsay letting her know that he was Lord Commander. Right. And I thought that right. was kind of cool, too, because uh, she's finding out something about a relative that's up at the wall from someone she's just bar- just met, basically. And this is exactly what happened with Jorah last week with Tyrion. He he got an update about his family member at the wall. Um, luckily, though, in an episode full of sadness with things like Aemon dying, at least Sansa got some good news <laughs> that Jon is rising high in the in, in the Night's Watch and everything. Yeah, and I'm sure her wheels immediately start turning. Like, how the hell do I get up there? <laughs> like yeah, tomorrow. Totally. <laughs> Got anything else you want to mention about their uh, conversation, Lady Hannah? <laughs> Just when Ramsay talks about Stannis marching north for Winterfell and how bad an idea that is. It's like Napoleon in Russia. Right. Oh, man, that's pretty <laughs> oh, funny. Man. I hadn't thought of that. Are there any other events up in the north that were uh, a part of your number three, Hannah? Not really. All right. So my number three is also about this scene. So we'll start to combine forces here. I called it Revenge for Rob and Cat. Ooh, Okay. So this is a pretty pivotal scene. Like we were talking about, Sansa learns about Jon Snow up at the wall, uh, which is pretty exciting. And uh, at one point they're walking along and Sansa reaches over and grabs like a corkscrew drill, a little a bore for the, uh, the wine casks, the butts. I can't remember what it's called, the technical term for it, but... The whole time throughout the scene, I'm like hoping, oh, she's going to try to stab him with it. You know? Yeah. Does anything ever come from having that corkscrew thing? Yes. I believe she uses it to to uh, pick the lock or something on her door to get out when oh, she tries to escape right. with Theon. Okay. I, I couldn't remember. Um, so Ramsey's being a super creep, and he's like, when my father told me we were marrying, I half expected a fat bearded beast. (laughs) Just kind of made me laugh, even though he's highly despicable. (laughs) And that was after that, she grabbed the, the corkscrew. And then, so they're talking about, he's talking about, um, the reports of Stannis riding South and, how they're kind of screwed because the Boltons and their people are used to fighting in frost and his army is out there now suffering in the snow. And we'll see more of that in a little bit. Some more details about that. But this is when Sansa decides to get really bold. And I'm like, you go girl. She's like, but, but isn't your stepmother pregnant? You know, after Ramsay says one day I'll be Lord of Winterfell, warden of the North, and you'll be my lady and wardeness. And she did not like that at all. Yeah, like she did not like that. Like her face when she said that. that. You can just see like pure anger go across it. Totally. So she's like, I'm going to start fucking with him since he keeps messing with me. And this, it's sort of like the, the Baelish little finger conversations that have been going on and those type of things where they're playing the game of words and, and trying to frustrate each other. So she brings up Fat Walda being pregnant and she's just rubbing in that, uh, like, what if it's a boy? You know, what happens if she has a boy? And Ramsay's like, it, you know, then I'll have a baby brother. I'm Lord Bolton's eldest son. And she's like, yeah, but you're a bastard. A trueborn will always have the stronger claim. And I thought this was hilarious because she's she basically, with this line, has informed Ramsay that other people like outsiders are having the same type of thoughts that uh, that are his greatest fears you know being displaced from the line of succession of house bolton um and eliminated from that order 
so it's just kind of funny. We know that pretty soon Ramsey kills his father, Lord Bolton. So I think that Sansa basically just planted the seed of Roose's doom here in this scene Ooh, by, yeah. by stoking like Ramsay's paranoia. Yeah, solidifying Ramsay's greatest fears with uh, using her own perspective, that of an outsider. So uh, considering that Roose had stabbed Rob in the heart and was responsible for the deaths of Rob and Cat and the Stark host outside of the twins... I thought that this line was sort of her getting revenge for Rob's death by prompting the bastard son or the, the legitimized bastard son of Roose Bolton to try to preserve his spot in the, uh, in the succession by killing his father. I like it. So I got pretty excited when I thought of that, like, oh man, this is a, uh, this is her getting revenge right now. She just planted the seed. And she totally just slaps him across the face, though, because she, he goes, I've been naturalized by a royal decree of Tom, Tom Baratheon, another, another bastard. bastard. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? Right. That's so funny, too. Like, yeah, you know, he's a bastard. So any any documents he signed are basically null and void is what she's saying. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. Right. It's so funny. Um, so they're they're walking along, and that's when he brings up Jon Snow. Well, bastards can rise high in the world, like your half-brother. And she's, she's shocked but happy about that, which is great. And then they walk out of that area, unfortunately, and we find the old woman. The old lady. Yeah, Ugh. which we talked about Ooh. last episode, who has been pretty brutally flayed. Like her entire body yeah. displayed up into her face, and she never, she didn't tell Ramsey. She never backed down. Right. It's, she like was strong to the very end. Yeah, he says, "Tough old bird. Everyone talks when I start beating them, but this one, her heart gave out before I got to her face. Like she never talked, and it took all of that flaying Ugh. before her heart gave out, and she never talked. That is." That's intense. Uh, yeah, a singular drive to, um, and you know, protect Sansa and maintain honor. She like she's she is a Stark loyalist to the core. Apparently, it makes me think of that line from season six when Sansa says that Ned always told her the Northmen were more loyal than anyone else. Yeah, that's a great oh, great point. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Oh, it's so brutal. So yeah, Ramsey's like, we do breed them tough in the north. And then he tells uh, them to, you know, bring Sansa back to her chamber and kisses her on the cheek like a total oh, creep. Oh, ew. He makes me so gro- like grossed out after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a scumbag for sure. Pretty fucked <laughs> up. So that... The, uh, light, the nights are so long now. Like... Lest he remind her that all he does all night long probably is beat her and rape her. Oh, and right. And they're getting yeah. along. Yeah. yeah. Not, not only like the nights are long, it's winter, but like for you, the nights are really fucking long at this point in time because you're getting tortured basically. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, it's messed up. So that uh, wraps up my number three. How about your numero dos, Lady Rachel? My number two is... The camp scene with Stannis and Davos and Malisandra. Nice. And so we we discover that 40 horses have died in the night 
which is a fuck ton of horses. Fuck ton of horses. We're going to lose more come sunset because they're cold. We don't yep. have food. And we can't open the snow, the supply line until the snow clears. And Stannis is like, what else could go wrong? <laughs> Seriously. Well, the storm crows rode off last night. So 500, 500 men. men. That's a lot of men. Yeah. And so he removes a piece from the chessboard. Like, and fucking then, lost that army. God damn it. Yeah. So in Davos is like, we have a really long march to Winterfell. And we don't want to be marching in, like, worse weather. And Stannis is like, yeah, what's your point? <laughs> this isn't our time. We need to head back to Castle Black. Yeah, Davos is like, we got to get out of there. I thought that was interesting. He said, this isn't our time. It's like he knows that it's just not going to work. Yeah, and that maybe Stannis is not the person that Malisandre thinks he is. Right, and uh, she, she even casts doubt on her own beliefs in a little bit by dodging the question when he asks her. But uh, Stannis is basically like, he's like, I retreated from King's Landing, Sir Davos. If I retreat again, I became the king who ran. And his pride is just holding him back. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's sort of similar to, uh, to it's like the Alistair problem. Remember how when they're on top of the wall and Alistair was talking about a good leader will pick a course and stay the course? Stannis is doing that same thing here and it does Absolutely. not work out. So, uh, yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, and so, you know, Stannis is like, winter is coming. Those aren't just the stark words. It's a fact. If we march back to Castle Black, we winter, like, at Castle Black. And who can say how many years that will last? Like, we're not talking about, like, Cali winter months where it's, like, <laughs> 60 degrees for a month out of the year. Right. This is, like, a year, years-long winter possibly a decade possibly longer than that if the if the white walkers get come south it could be another long night a, a night that yeah. lasts a generation snow yeah. falling hundreds of feet high so uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, see that avoided in the upcoming season <laughs> yeah and then you know davos is like really trying to reason with him he's like it's better to wait for the right time than to risk everything he goes this is the right time and i will risk everything because if I don't, we've lost. And so this completely foreshadows what's going to happen to his daughter because he's at the point of no return. And the last episode we recorded, you talked about kind of Stannis's PTSD with being without um, and being stuck in a position of like low supplies. Right from the siege at Storm's End. Where they were like eating, yeah. eating soles of boots and things like that. Boiling leather and eating seagull. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that that was, you know, he's he is now put in a situation where he is open to Malisandra, who comes in actually, you know, basically right here. And yep. so I think if she would have told him any time before he was in this dire situation, he would have been like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm... No, I'm not killing my daughter. Yeah, I'm not totally. sacrificing her. But because he is put in this PTSD-like situation and it, he needs to make um, a, a big decision quickly, he's going to be open to hearing her, even though he inevitably denies her in this scene. She plants the seeds. And Melisandre is heavily advocating the collectivism 
yeah. uh, the sacrifice of the individual to save the whole colony, basically to save the whole host. And uh, he makes the wrong choice and karma comes back at him pretty quickly. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Yeah, and you know, so we get Malasandra here, and Davos is like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And, um, you know, Santa says to her, I've trusted in your visions, in your prophecies for years. And she says to him, so now we know what he's seen. You saw it yourself, my king, when you stared into the flames, a great battle in the snow. I don't know what I saw. Now, um, I thought maybe he was thinking the great, well, I guess it wasn't really a battle. Never mind. I won't go there. I was going to say the siege on the wildlings could have been the battle in the snow, but it was more like a mowing over. Oh, <laughs> Not a right, battle. Right. North of the wall there. <laughs> yeah, north of the wall. But that was like kind of a. I was say, I wonder if, because like they kind of talk about like when Melisandre says she saw herself walking on the battlements of Winterfell. So is the battle mm-hmm. in the snow supposed to be John versus Ramsay next season, or is it going to be the Long Night in season eight? Good Ooh. question. I kind of thought that maybe she got bits and pieces of any of these battles, but that she saw herself on the battlements of Winterfell after John had won and just misinterpreted the context to think that it was as a result of a Stannis victory. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. I like, Hannah, what you said, though, about, like, does it foreshadow her coming back to Winterfell at some point in season eight and being there when the long night comes? I like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. She's going to have to come back into the fold somehow, I imagine, right? See, I feel like her character's been a long setup that has no real payoff yet. Right. <laughs> yeah, except for bringing John back from the dead. But there's got to be more. There has to be more because she's still alive. Mm-hmm. And, like Thor- Thoros can do that. I want to see something Something unique. big. Yeah, yeah, totally. Good point. Um, so this is when Stannis is, Melisandre tells Stannis to trust himself and uh, he asks her, do you trust yourself? 
And she dodges the question. She's obviously, she hesitates here at a critical moment, which shows that she lacks complete confidence in her, uh, in her conviction um, and foreshadows the upcoming failure. Instead of, instead of answering the question directly, she says, I trust in the Lord, you know, and that shows that the interpretations are not set in stone and that she knows that. So she doesn't want to, you know, outwardly give too much confidence in her own interpretations even she's not showing all her cards yeah definitely she's keeping the ace she's keeping her out basically mm-hmm. um so this is when she kind of drops the bomb on him and you know, she goes sometimes sacrifices must be made to ensure victory i've shown you the power of king's blood the usurper rob stark the usurper joffrey baratheon and he immediately goes back to Gendry. He's like, we don't have Robert's bastard here. And then she goes, no, we have someone better. And your blood runs through her veins. And I love <sighs> his the, the facial expression on his face. Like, all of a sudden, he gets it. And he's like, are you, are you crazy? Have you yeah, lost, lost your mind? Your mind. <laughs> and she goes, you doubt me still after all you've seen? There must be another way. Leeches, Leeches or something. You know, she goes, this is the only way. You must become king before the long night begins. And and you can only lead the living against the dead. It's crazy. Our life has led our life has led you to this led us to this moment, to this decision. Yeah, it's it's fucked up, man. It's super fucked up. And she reaches out to touch him and he like recoils and he's just like, get out. Yeah, she's my <laughs> daughter. He's, at least he still has a backbone for now, which is nice. And this goes back to because Celise um, calls her the child when they leave Castle Black. Right. And Distancing Stannis herself. says here, she's my daughter. Like mm-hmm. there's that distance is not been Doesn't created. get any more personal than that. Yeah. Yeah not even she's my child or my you know my little girl like she's my daughter so i mentioned earlier danny willingly sacrificing her own personal needs for the benefit of the collective and it's that's that's just because you're voluntarily the leader is voluntarily sacrificing their their own self needs and interests in this case stannis is sacrificing the individual for the collective but he's he's not allowing for that a voluntary sacrifice. He's making the decision to override the autonomy of the individual as opposed to um, like willingly merging the individual into the collective. And so this is this would be as you know a violation of that sacred principle, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So that scene was my number two. Does anyone have any other notes they want to talk about with this? The one thing I thought was kind of like a nod to book readers is when Davos says that um, the storm crows left in the night. I think it's interesting because I kind of like combined a bunch of sellsword groups in Marine to like simplify Danny's story. But oh, right. in the books, the storm crows is actually Dario's men. Yeah, they're actually out in Essos in the books. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, so I just thought it was pretty rough that after all Stannis has done for Shireen and after all he's sacrificed and everything, to be confronted with this suggestion in this moment of desperation is the only way that this would ever happen for him and he would allow it. But 
he knows he fucked up basically and he accepts his death pretty willingly after uh shireen is burned and after his army is defeated he just tells brienne you know do what you have to do you can tell he feels really guilty about the whole thing yeah absolutely kind of like even at this point before he makes that decision he's kind of like damned if he does damned if he doesn't because like if he doesn't burn her in his mind like they're all gonna die out there anyway yeah exactly that's true absolutely Mm -hmm. and it's like that uh that line that he said to davos what's the life of one bastard boy compared to the kingdom everything is as davos says should have learned yeah should have (laughs) learned all right so what is your number two hannah Tyrion meets danny nice that's my number one the gift i think mine is too mine's the number cool take it away ladies lady hannah i remember like when this episode aired it was a big thing because Tyrion's never met danny in the books yet so this was like completely uncharted ground (laughs) totally really exciting a lot of anticipation like the whole setup is super interesting because essentially Danny doesn't have like counselors right now. The closest thing she has to a counselor is his door. And you can see he's obviously leading her down a path. She really doesn't want to go. So it's like that's a perfect, great point. Perfect opportunity for Tyrion to slip in. Yeah, yes. <laughs> slip in. Perfect. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Jorah's gone. Well, he was gone. <laughs> and uh, Barristan has been killed. She's She's got Grey Worm, who isn't a strategist by any means. She's got Missande, who's like, I don't, I don't know what to say. You know, don't ask me these questions. <laughs> but now Tyrion appears at a, at a left field. One of the greatest minds in the, all of the Seven Kingdoms. So, yeah, luck is definitely favoring danny at the, in this moment the setup with the fighting pits when jorah is obviously trying to win her affections back too and he's like intentionally not permanently harming anyone because he wants to get in good with her yeah loved it yeah he's like knocking them over the heads the sound effect when he dislocates the one guy's shoulder is like sickening oh it's bad it's yeah, really that was bad a cool move. i liked how um in that first speech, the slave owner is telling him that many worthy fighters have died trying to make it to the great games. When most of you worthless scum join them in death this afternoon, it will represent a significant rise in your station, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> kind of funny. Elevated from nobody to, you know, somebody that fought in the fighting pits, which is kind of cool. Uh, but if you happen to triumph here, you will fight at the great pit of Daznak itself in front of the queen. And little do they know that the queen is just arriving right now at, at this pit. So uh, when Jorah hears them giving their salutations, saluting the queen out there, it's like, oh my God, he kind of like freaks out, you know, and he just has to go immediately. I like it when he punches that guy in the face because he's going to try to stop <laughs> it's not him. your turn yet. <laughs> Whack. He's like, fuck you. Get out of here. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, did you guys notice the um, the chant that the slave owner tells them to say this, the uh, the fighters to say for Danny? We fight and die for your glory, O glorious queen. Um, it it was remindful to me of what Roman gladiators would say before the beginning of the mat of a match, um, especially ones where like the where Caesar was present and stuff like that. Oh, really. Yeah, they would chant uh, t- together and, and synchronously uh, 
they would say, Nos morituri te salutamus, which means we who are about to die salute you. So I thought that this uh, little saluting of the queen, we fight and die for your glory, O glorious queen. It was, it was kind of a, a nod to that gladiatorial tradition in ancient Rome, which I liked. That's awesome. I like that. Such a great line to convey the disconnect between Danny and her people, too, though, because she absolutely doesn't want them to die for her. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We're d- dying for your glory. She's like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> Please really. don't do that. Please just walk away. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Um, so Jorah goes out and he's whipping all those guys and Tyrion's like, I got to see what's going on. Everybody rushes over to the gate because it's action out there. The Andal, you know, is whipping all these guys, and uh, Tyrion knows that Danny's out there, and he's like, "Shit, shit, shit! I can't get stuck back here." So he's trying to file down the chain and <laughs> pull it out of the wall yeah. and everything. He would have been there and, for uh, like months. <laughs> yeah, and this guy lumbers over and it's like looking down at him. And Tyrion looks up like, "Oh God, I'm busted!" And the guy raises his sword over his head, and Tyrion's like, "No!" And he whack slices that chain in half and gives him the nod like, there you go, brother, go ahead, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah. But that big sword that he was using, big, huge blade. And then at the end of the blade, all the way at the tip of the blade, there's like a big ball of steel. Did you guys notice that? On no. his weapon? On the uh, the guy who cut Tyrion's chain. Oh, no. I did it's not It's pretty crazy. That. Yeah, it's like a sword with with a big ball of steel out all the way at the tip of the blade. Oh, shit. And all I can imagine is the purpose of that would be to give the sword extreme hacking capability. All that extra mass at the, the end, weight, of, the, uh, end yeah. of the blade. Yeah, all that would give so much momentum. If you swing down, like, it doesn't surprise me that it snipped that chain pretty easily because that thing would <laughs> deliver a devastating blow. Duncan, have you watched Master of Arms on TV? No, I have not. It is a like blacksmithing competition. And oh, oh, they, you mean um, Forged in Fire? Or no, Master of Arms, that's another one? Yeah, yeah, it's oh, really good. Right. They They have to replicate like old weapons from different time periods and they have like a certain t- you know amount of time to do it and then nice. they're then they're tested by like this marine sniper <laughs> oh shit and, and they'll like they'll do like samurai swords and they'll cut through an entire pig like that's the test to cut through the pig oh. it's it's pretty awesome i like i'm like he would like this <laughs> oh definitely there's uh legends of blades that uh, they would apparently in ancient japan when they would make high quality samurai blades katanas there are rumors that they would test them on prisoners. Ooh. Yeah, and that they would essentially tie like five or six prisoners up together and see how many people the sword could cut Ew. through in a single slice. Oh my God. So there's, yeah, legends of like five body blades where they would just whoosh, cut through five people in a single slice of the blade. That's intense. Yeah, super That's intense. That's really intense. It may or may not be historically accurate, like it actually happened or not, but it, you know, there's stories of it for sure. Crazy. Pretty interesting. Anything else you want to add about this scene, Hannah? Um, yeah, I just think it's interesting because like Tyrion and Jorah being there too, just like highlights how Danny's failing to break through in Marine because like they're brought there as slaves, like they didn't have a choice and Danny's right. 
if Danny knew slaves were being brought to the fighting pits, much less free men making the choice. Like, I can't imagine how she would react to that. Yeah. Jorah's like, wait, 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 wait. Give me a chance. I brought you a gift. Plus, we're slaves. They brought us here as slaves. Do something about it. You know? Yeah. Like, Tyrion is literally in chains. He's handcuffed. Yeah. When he walks totally. out there. I also loved um, when Jorah gets over to the gate and sees Danny sitting out there. He has like a, like a rush. It, it, it goes across his face and he has like a, a, a wonderful smile where he's like, oh, there she is. You know, it's just a funny <laughs> little moment. I love it when he goes to walk up to her and her guards are like, back the hell up. Yeah. Yeah. You're too close, man. And she's pissed off. Um yeah, and when uh, when they're fighting in front of her and they're like cutting each other's throats and gutting each other and everything, she is pissed. she doesn't like that either. Not one bit. No, she stands up. She's like, "I'm done with this. I can't watch this. This is yeah." Like, and, and his daughter is like, "No, you have to stay." She goes, "I think I've seen enough." But it's a tradition to go. To the- yeah, his daughter is so annoying, man. It's like your grace. It's tradi- it's a tradition for the queen to stay until the victor has emerged. Yeah, it's a it's a tradition to do that. It's a tradi- tradition to go to the lower fighting pits before the big one. Like just sh- you're like well, so she obsessed says, with this. Dude. She goes, "I've sacrificed more than enough for your traditions," and that's hinting like I'm freaking marrying you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I reopened the fighting pits. I've <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. sacrificed like you know who I want to be with to be with you politically. Mm-hmm. Like, if I want to get up and leave, I'm going to get up and leave. <laughs> totally. And so then Jorah comes out and he's just knocking everybody out, like you were saying, Lady Hannah. And uh, Danny is strangely captivated by this mystery fighter who's who's not killing the other fighters. And she she's drawn to him strangely, even without knowing who he is, just as she's sort of always been drawn to him. You know, he's got that sort of magnetic <laughs> personality about him. That uh, Danny is just uh, naturally drawn to. Totally. Anything else you guys want to mention about this? Um, I don't think so. I guess we could mention that when Tyrion actually comes out. Oh, I am the gift. Yeah, there's a great <laughs> shot of Jorah as she's like, get him out of my sight. And uh, the shot, like, kind of looking up at him, and he's he's all disheveled and sweaty, and he's begging, Khaleesi, please. I just need a moment of your time. I, I brought you a gift. And that's when Tyrion walks out. It's true. He has. And Danny's like, uh, who are you? Come on, Danny. You should have figured this out already. Uh, I'm sure she's getting news from, from the, from Westeros that Tywin Lannister's dead, that the imp is missing. It just makes sense that this, this dwarf shows up with a Westerosi accent. It's Tyrion Lannister, babe. Come on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know? I know, but she's probably shocked. She's like, what? Is right. This, like, is how is this, this even possible? Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, she's like, who are you? And he's like, I am the, I am the gift. It's a pleasure to meet you, your grace. My name is Tyrion Lannister. And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. And I realized at that moment that I'm like such a nerd because when I'm looking at, I'm looking at the episode title, The Gift, and I'm thinking of the track of land south of the wall given to the Night's Watch by Jaehaerys <laughs> the First or something. <laughs> it's Tyrion. He's yeah. the gift. <laughs> yeah, totally. One of many gifts in this episode, apparently, too, as we know that... Um, Peter Baelish gave uh, 
Olivar to Cersei as a gift, and now he's giving uh, Lancel to Olena as a gift. Yep. Basically, so there's all these male gifts going Gift around. Gift giving. Yeah. Tis the season. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We're just like a week too late to cover this for Christmas. Yeah. And uh, so it's just really exciting. Like you were saying, Hannah, this hasn't happened in the books yet. So now that Tyrion is with Danny on the show, it is on. We're cooking with gas at this point. And it's like so in character how confident he is. Because like Danny has every reason to kill him. But Tyrion's just like, she won't. I'm good enough that she won't. Totally. After surviving those, the band of cock slave uh, or cock selling, <laughs> cock cock selling slavers. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's like, if I can survive them, I can survive a Targaryen. Totally. <laughs> Classic. So that was our number ones and your number two, right? Yeah. All right. So, uh, Duncan, your number two. So we're at my number two, which is Sam Stallone, Rocky oh. Balboner, <laughs> Sam the Lady Slayer. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought of, made me think of Rocky when Sam was getting pummeled and he just keeps standing up like, <laughs> yeah. he gets his never, face never rocked. Up. Yeah, totally. It's bad. Okay. So Derek and Brand basically try to rape Gilly, uh, who is not super stoked about that. <laughs> and Sam shows up and whoosh, draws his sword like immediately, uh, which is I thought was really awesome. He's like not putting up with any of this bullshit. Uh, he's like, get your fucking hands off her. Uh, and Brother Derek, Brother Brand, I believe you both have guard duty tonight. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're sort of laughing at him. <laughs> Sam the Slayer, are you going to slay me with that sword? Look at his hands shaking. And uh, he's trying to get Gilly just to try to get out of there. But he, Derek throws her to the floor. And Sam's like, I'm warning you. <laughs> sword. <laughs> and uh, Derek is like, come on. And Sam comes up and does a big swing and just totally telegraphs the move and Derek just catches the catches his hands basically he's too close is uh, telegraphed just terrible effort Sam unfortunately he's not a fighter no <laughs> so, not at all <laughs> yeah so he's getting punched and knocked down and kicked in the gut and uh, Derek's like you lying sack of shit killed a white walker eh Psh, you fat ass fuck you're like this is bullshit you didn't kill a white walker Come on, get up. And uh, he turns to Gilly. He's your hero. He's a hog. So horrible. Gilly's just like, leave him alone. So horrible. Charges at him. and She's so like guttural here. She like growls at him. Yeah. Her inner wildling is coming out. Love <laughs> it. And <laughs> so there's, there's scuffling and the other guy comes over and starts just nailing Sam in the face until he's like on the brink of losing consciousness and Gilly's just screaming his name. And then they both go over and cause Sam is like out of it. They both go over and they're starting to hold down Gilly and she's screaming and Sam gets back up freaking Rocky Balboa with his face all <laughs> smashed up and stuff. So epic. <laughs> I said, get your hands off her. <laughs> and it's like, um, it's like Rocky Four. brands like, you're going to get yourself killed, man. 
like Adrian. You've seen him. You know how strong he is. It's suicide. <laughs> Adrian. <laughs> and he's like, I killed a white walker. I killed a then. I'll take my chances with you. <laughs> and then you hear the growling in the distance as Ghost shows up when he's needed the oh most. Oh my God. So legit. Yes. And we never get enough of Ghost. So it's it's awesome to see him show up and, you know, showing his fans. And then immediately and he's disappear. All postured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> He's he's all aggressively postured and, and the guys are just like, oh shit, they kind of freeze in their tracks for a couple minutes and then just book it. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't want to run. That's going to trigger the uh, the attack instinct for that wolf. Yeah. <laughs> like I would be moving very slowly trying to get out of there. Yes. I'm trying to make myself look as big as possible. Not that I would be in that position because I wouldn't be trying to rape somebody. <laughs> oh my gosh. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a great tactic to run from a beast like that. Uh, Never no. showing your back and everything. Um, so, so Ghost decides to hang out as Sam and Gilly rush together again. And Gilly's like, what were you thinking, basically? And he's like, I'm all right. It's just a bit woozy. I'm just a bit woozy. Yeah, maybe think of the Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just a flesh wound. Come back here, I'll gnaw your legs off. After he's got like all of his his legs cut off and everything, his arms cut off and everything. Yeah. It's the best. So then he just passes out and uh, we it cuts to later and Gilly's washing out his wounds and everything. And uh, she's like, next time you see something like that, just leave it alone. He's Good like, old Sam. what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, how could I possibly do that? Like, I will not. And um, he's trying to like talk himself up a little bit. He's like, yeah, they were, they were tiring out anyway. You know, I, I had them in the palm of my hand and Gilly's like, shut up, Sam. Like that's bullshit. We both know it. Don't be stupid. You're not a fighter. Yeah. She does say that. She's like, you're not a fighter. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Things. I think Sam is kind of still in shock from the passing of Maester Eamon because, um, as Gilly gets up to get more water, his hand shoots up and grabs her. And it was sort of like um, right before Eamon passed away, he he started Grabbed having Sam's a vision hand. of, he's like, egg, and kind of freaks out and grabs Sam's hand. And and I, it, I think that it's like the, Sam is has a sense of like the fleeting nature of life and how, you know, you could be here one minute and gone the next, and I feel like he is just wanting to capitalize on this moment. He's like, just stay, you know, don't go, and he reaches out and grabs her. And things escalate rather quickly here. bow chicka bow wow <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Gilly hops up on top of him and starts kissing him and all that, and, and she's he starts wincing in pain, and she's like, "Oh, am I hurting you?" And he's he shakes his head, no. And I, in his head, I'm I'm just imagining him. He's like, "Fuck, I don't care how bad this hurts. You know, I can't miss this opportunity. I'm just gonna gr- <laughs> grin and bear it. You know, it may not happen again." And uh, <laughs> she, they basically start having sex. And his is that uh, what they're his, doing? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think, and I'm not an expert at, at this, but yeah, I think so. So uh, his vocalization. As uh, as it goes down, always is just the funniest. <laughs> oh, oh my! <laughs> you know, <laughs> so fucking funny. And uh, Lady Hannah, I'm sure you're aware of the. You remember the the fat pink mast? How could you forget? 
Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have not gotten here yet. How could you forget? Like, no matter how awkward you think it is on the show, you just have to read the book. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, I think this is the, probably the area uh, that George R. R. Martin has received the most criticism for, as far as I'm aware, is the way he describes like sexual encounters and stuff like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he describes Sam's dick as a fat pink mast. Okay. Basically, that's what we're, what I was referencing. That's which visual. Is f- <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious. I like it. I, I like it. <laughs> I think it's great. It's just so funny. <laughs> Oh my god. So funny. Uh cool. anybody have anything to add about this? Um Sam the Box Slayer. I think the only thing I wanted to add is when Derek first comes in, he's like, The question is, is she pretty down south in the real world? Or is oh. she pretty because she's the only girl here? Yeah, that's pretty brutal. And then Brand goes, even in White Harbor, I'd want a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> it's just creepy. Yeah, totally creepy. There, yeah, and then she's trying to get away, and they just like block her way and stuff. That's always uncomfortable to watch. It's yeah, as a viewer, I mean, it's not easy to watch this type of stuff. No, especially because we're just coming off the episode of Sansa, so that's like on our mind, and right, we're like, "Are heads. you serious? There's going to be another one like right now? Like, I'm still yeah, dealing goddamn. with the trauma of last episode." Totally. So totally. <laughs> so yeah that wraps up my number two and okay. rachel your number one's already covered as well as mine so uh lady hannah what do you have for number one my number one was that conversation cersei has with tallman oh Ooh, all right nice. nice it's like the perfect distillation of why she's such an awful character but how you can still root for her sometimes ah that's true true so what did you like about it hannah to have the line highlighted when she says she would burn cities to the ground for him. Right. Quite the foreshadowing. Yeah, and there's yeah. been a lot of talk about that, too. Like, a few episodes ago when she was with Tywin, I will burn our house to the ground before letting you take Tommen away from me, you know? And then uh, talking to Jamie about something similar, the same thing, I'll burn cities to to ash or something like that. So here she is again talking about burning cities to the ground. And like you were saying, Hannah, totally foreshadows her blowing up the sept. Yeah, and everything. It's fucked up. In this conversation, like, obviously she's lying about her motivations with Marjorie. But I think when she says she would burn cities to the ground for him, she's being completely genuine. And it's just such a stark contrast from when she actually burns cities to the ground. She could care less about what he's doing. Right. Yeah. She. Yeah. It's like she's more interested in burning the cities to the ground than doing it for Tommen or anything like that. It's, it seems to be a fetish for her. Um, she's totally obsessed with fire. I think she's a Targaryen. Yeah. All these hints that she could be a Targaryen, or that just these hints that she's gonna do something massively destructive like this. Pretty fucked up. So the scene starts out with Tommen kind of losing his shit a little bit. And uh, he's freaking out and saying, you know, I'm the king and the queen is in prison and there's nothing I can do about it. And he's like super, super upset. And it's like, yeah, you had the opportunity to prevent all this from like happening. Like a few but, opportunities. Yeah. So it's like, because you want to be mad at him, but even just like the stuff he says in this scene reminds you what a child he is. And it's just like a shame he was ever put in that position to begin with. Totally. Total shame. 
It's like when he says he'd call in the army and he goes, I'll take back the sept and kill every last one of them. I'll start a war if I have to. Like, that is such a bad idea. Yeah, Cersei's like, yeah, you know who, you know as well as I do who the first casualty would be in that war. Queen Marjorie. They have the prize in their clutches. It's too ri- too risky to try to take her back by force, unfortunately. And so uh, she's also telling him, you know, no matter who you are, no matter how strong you are, sooner or later you'll face circumstances beyond your control. Events you couldn't possibly have anticipated or prevented, even if you had. And I thought this line is really fucked up. Because this whole circumstance, which is out of Tommen's control and he didn't see coming, is something that she <laughs> planned behind she the scenes. She put into motion. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all of her machinations that are resulting in this situation, which is just so frustrating. And then it also foreshadows the way that she blows up the sept and uh, kills Marjorie and ruins their relationship. And there's nothing Tommen could have done about it at all in that case either because it's her behind the scenes again just being fucking insane and it's like how would you how could you suspect that it's your mom at that age at that young impressionable age where you still like you're starting to get some independence but you still kind of rely on mom and you still trust mom and you don't think that she would ever do something to like put you in that danger totally betray you (laughs) yeah or situation and she's just stabbing her own son in the back it's just crazy and Tommen is just so frustrated. He's like, he doesn't know what to do. He's beside himself. He's just like, I love her. I love her and I, I, I can't help her. And I'm thinking that that's probably exactly what what was going through his mind right before he jumps from the window in season six, episode 10. He yeah. sees the set blow up and he's probably just like, you know, I love her and there was nothing I could do. And it, it's just, it's over and <laughs> it just jumps. So sad. Yeah, super brutal. Poor Tommen. His heart's in the right place. I just don't think he has the wherewithal and the experience. Like Hannah said, it's, you know, he's a little kid, basically. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to kill people. He doesn't want to, you know, start a big war or anything like that. So he's trying to stay the course and, and balance the line between being successful and also not murdering a bunch of people. (laughs) Yeah. Or offending the faith. What is it Mary says at the beginning of the season that like Tommen's too nice to do a good job? Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, He does say something like that. that. It's when he's giving his speech to Tyrion about uh, having the right person with the right name who has an army that can scare the high lords and simultaneously get the people to love them. Yeah, like stronger than Tommen, but... Yeah. You know, gentler than Stannis. Exactly. Yeah. Stronger than Tommen, gentler than Stannis. And Tyrion's like, when you, who, how are we going to find him or whatever? And he's like, ah, who said anything about a he? Telling us that it was talking about Danny. Good, Danny. Call, good call, Lady Hannah. That's a, a good uh, catch there. So um, Tommen says that he, he wants to go speak with the High Sparrow. There must be something I can do. And Cersei cuts him off. Let me speak to him on your behalf. The king cannot... Um, sully himself negotiating with an unwashed fanatic. And I just thought it's even more fucked up that he's trying to like do something to get Marjorie out and she's sabotaging his efforts. She's preventing it. But little does she know it's her own demise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so funny too. I, I didn't put really, really realize that. 
I'm just like, see you next Tuesday, Cersei. That's what you are. <laughs> see you next Tuesday. Next C-U-N-T. Tuesday. Oh, that's, that's who you are. <laughs> oh my God. I like Cersei. it. There's no cure for being a cunt. No, there is not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is when she talks about how, like, all she really wants is Tommen's happiness, which is, it's, it's funny. It's like a sort of, um, another disconnect. She has a disconnect between her and her children in sort of the same way that Tywin had a disconnect between his children, you know, that he wanted to do further the dynasty. And, and she said, it's amazing that all you care about is your family without ever seeing what your family's doing, like right in front of you, basically this huge disconnect and Cersei's doing the same thing like here like your happiness is all I want in this world but all all Tommen wants is Marjorie to be happy like to to make him happy to be with her basically so well she's blinded by wanting to help her children but she's just not helping them at all she's doing the exact opposite yeah and she's she's having PTSD from the whole Maggie the Frog prophecy which makes her think that um Marjorie is out to get her and steal yep. everything from her. So that's sort of when overriding really it's her Danny. other, yeah, parental, ca- uh, you know, responsibilities and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. really, it's Danny. Good cut. Good, uh, good call on that. Um, so she, she's like, that's all that matters. You and your sister, from the moment you came into this world, my boy, my only boy, and uh, I'm just like, damn, she is in the grips of PTSD, not only from the Maggie, the frog thing, but from having lost Joffrey, losing Joffrey, losing and, Marcella uh, in a way because yeah. she never sees Marcella again alive, alive. Right. So yeah, the only thing that, that she loves is her kids basically and herself and she'll fucking kill everybody else for them. If she has to, uh, she's baddie, bro. She's fucking baddie. She's fucking crazy. Cersei's yeah, a crazy, so crazy. bitch. Definitely. Going back to comparing like her to Tywin, because Tywin never cared about his family. He cared about his dynasty. And like Cersei right. doesn't really love her kids as much as she sees them as extensions of herself. So she can only see their happiness through the lens of her happiness. Yeah, that's great. Great yeah, point. And it absolutely. turns out that she's kind of obsessed with dynasty as well because she's trying to prevent um, the Tyrells from coming in and taking over which she sees as her dynasty, her kids rule basically. Absolutely. So that's yeah, pretty interesting. Who, nice. uh, who has uh, a note they want to talk about? We can start at the very beginning when, um, John is saying goodbye to Alistair or not Alistair, but Sam and Alistair's like, Lord commander, it is my duty to tell you, I believe this mission to be reckless, foolhardy and an insult to all of the brothers that have died fighting the wildlings. <laughs> As always, Thank yeah. you for your honesty. <laughs> Safe travels, Lord Commander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And Sam gives him the dragon glass that he takes to hard home. Yeah, that thing is a, that was a really cool looking piece yeah. of dragon glass. Huh? Nice big dagger. And Sam's like, I really don't. I really hope you don't need to use them. And John's like, yeah, dude, me too. Yeah, totally. It's uh, that I love that line. It's, it reminded me of that phrase. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have right. it. Right? Maybe that's why I'm an overpacker yeah, when I go funny. places. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Or I'll like save stuff to 
um, not like to harder levels or anything like that, but it's like, maybe I could use this someday and I'll never use it yeah. again for sure. Yeah. I'm a purger. <laughs> and I thought it was funny, funny little bit of exposition for the audience to, uh, John's like, what the hell is this? And Sam's like, it's, it's dragon glass. It's what I used to kill the white Walker. I hope you don't need them. <laughs> but Sam should know that. Or I mean, uh, John should know that already that what dragon glass is, how it's been used, yeah. et cetera. So it's just like for the audience to remind us what the hell's going yeah. on. Basically that Sam said this here. Because when they're at hard home, they lose all the dragon glass because it's left yeah, it's left yeah, in exactly. that hut when the white walker comes down and beats the shit out of john yeah yeah this uh this bag ends up being pretty important a lot rides on this bag and uh it ends up being lost yeah. sadly so that was my that was my first note nice um what about you lady hannah you have something else you want to talk about the one thing just to note is that this was miguel sapochnik's first episode directing oh what? oh Nice. And he's one of the great ones, Like, there too. wasn't any really, um, like, impressive scenes, but you can just tell, like, he's really artistic in the way he films things, like the way he uses the snow and all the scenes in the north. Like, it's just a really beautifully shot episode. I agree. Definitely. Very, very beautifully shot. Great cinematography. Yeah, he's, he, he does a great job with his episodes. Yeah, and speaking of the North, next scene we are um, in Sansa's chambers as Theon arrives. And speaking of, the windows are open and the snow is flying into her room. Yeah, exactly. And what do you think? Is she like in a nightmare? She's kind of shivering and whimpering. I wasn't sure if it was because of the cold. Or yeah, yeah, maybe she was crying. Her eyes look pretty puffy when she runs over to Theon and is like begging him. Yeah, it's super intense. Really, really intense moment where they're both just besides themselves yeah he's like <laughs> and, not the uh, my lady reek she's like help me reek my name is reek you're his wife now yeah begging Ugh. for his help and we see that she's like she's all covered in cuts and bruises and shows signs of being badly beaten and she's just so desperate whereas last episode uh she had been so strong standing up to Mir- miranda and everything like that this is her lowest point uh sadly oh yeah it's horrible yeah it's absolutely horrible she's begging him to help and he's like you're his wife now do what he says or he'll hurt you uh he already hurts me every night yeah all day i'm locked in this room and every night he comes it can't be worse which is true because he she is locked in because theon has to put the tray down out in front of her door to unlock the door from the outside Right, and this is what the, she uses that uh, that corkscrew thing for. Um, oh yeah, to, okay. To help that makes get, sense get herself out of there. So uh, she's like, "It can't be any worse." And Theon's like, "It can. It can always be worse." You know, which is he knows from experience it gets pretty fucking bad. Yeah, like he'll uh, freaking mutilate you. Yeah, and this like freaks Sansa up because because when they grew up together, right? She's known him her whole life, and her entire other experience with Theon Greyjoy is with Theon being this outgoing cocky to the point of being like unbearable, like kind of obnoxious. Yeah. Just like this, this, you know, this dickhead basically. And, uh, just full of himself and like super, super arrogant and everything. And, uh, so now he's just completely broken and he's, he's just meek reek the freak basically. And, 
And so I think that it's it's really jarring for her now that she's gotten to be around him a little bit more and see how he's been utterly transformed. Uh, she's kind of shocked by his level of traumatization. So he's like, it can always be worse. And she stands up and runs to him and she's like, like, what did he do to you? You know, like, what the hell happened? This is not the Theon that I remember. It's not okay. And he's like, please... I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, he cut my dick off. <laughs> like, <laughs> God damn it. And she like, she's just so emotional about like everything that's happening is just so emotional. Theon's emotional and traumatized and she's being tortured and emotional. And she, she kind of freaks out on him for a moment. Like you betrayed my family. And he's just apologizing help me. desperately. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And freaking out. Yeah, you have to help me. And he's like, he'll see us. You don't know him. And it, it made me think of when Yara tried to save him and how oh, he's yeah. so paranoid and scared. Like, even with Yara, like, come on, let's go. I'm here to save you. He's There's like, no, eyes all around. it's a trick. Yeah, his eyes are dashing everywhere. And they're, uh, the back and forth between Sansa and Theon here is just so emotionally intense. It's like like draining to, to watch it. Really yeah. jarring. And... Uh, she tells him she unfortunately makes a strategic mistake here and divulges what she knows about the, uh, the, the cam- the candle in the window and the friends in the North and, uh, the, the, the broken tower and everything. And I mean, it, she doesn't really have many options because she's locked in there. So she kind of has to do something and she takes a gamble that, that reek can be more than reek. You know, she's like, promise me, Theon, put the candle in the window. I think he was going up there to put the candle in the window and Reek was in the broken tower waiting, eating dinner up there. Ramsay was in the broken yeah. tower? Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. Because he I was think... going up that spiral staircase. I think that was the broken tower. I think that Is... they baited us to think that by showing the tower in the distance and showing him looking at it. But I think he just went straight to Ramsay's chambers. Oh, because isn't the broken tower where Bran caught Cersei and Jamie? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So uh, she's like, promise me, Theon. And he's like, Reek, my name is Reek. And uh, it's, it's, it's crazy, the, the transformation that occurs here. It's, it's like she started off super mad at him, and then she's realizing how traumatized he is and that he must have gone th- through something so fucked up that she almost starts developing some sort of sympathy for him. And she starts fighting for him here and trying to give him confidence and snap him out of this, this madness. And she's, she's like, your name is Theon Greyjoy, last surviving son of Balon Greyjoy, Lord of the Iron Islands. Do you hear me? Theon, promise me, you know, she's, she's trying to snap him back into it. And he can't even look at her at all. Yeah, he can't. And she hands him the candle and just nods and leaves. And uh, this is when it shows him walking and he looks over at the broken tower and uh, just keeps walking basically. And, and we think he's walking up into the broken tower, going up the spiral staircase and everything. But then he walks right into Ramsey's chambers and uh, divulges the But the how plan does Theon know that it's the old lady? Ramsey knows that it's the old lady already. Because how would Theon know that? Yeah, maybe he was. Um, well, she, Sansa's been locked in the in the room, so he could he could know, for instance, potentially every person who's had access to Sansa 
Um, oh, very, that's very limited so uh, number of people. She's locked in her chambers, her. not his chambers. Yeah, then. she's locked in her chamber. Okay. He comes to visit her at night. Um, sort Lovely. of mindful of the way that Drogo came to visit Danny at night for the first little while in their relationship. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that Theon walks right up to uh, Ramsay's chamber. What do you think, Lady Hannah? Yeah, I think he walks to Ramsay's chamber. Yeah, it seems like it to me. Like he, the conditioning was almost broken there, and he's like, "Okay, I'll do it," you know, and kind of nods. But then he gets back out into the snow and starts thinking of, you know, starts feeling the phantom cock pain, and he's just like, "Not, not, nope, not, not happening." I gotta go see <laughs> Ramsey. Okay, we can go with that. <laughs> he ends the conversation saying he's reek, so I think he's like still Ramsey's plaything right now. Yeah. Sure, that makes sense. We've been discussing, uh, Lady Hannah, how we think that going back to Winterfell was triggering all kinds of memories for Theon and that when Sansa shows up, it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back that sort of busts his conditioning and uh, allows him to become Theon again. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm trying to remember... David and Dan said something about how Sansa was like the key to bringing Theon back because he wanted to like save a Stark since he'd done so much damage to them already. Right, that too. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So he was kind of like mended by her. Yeah, it's part of his like redemption is being able to do something positive Get her for the back family to, like, that he's the wall. Yeah. Or up to the wall, I guess. Like yeah. fixing the mistake he made with Bran and Rick on. Mm-hmm. Or at least trying. <laughs> Doing the best he can. It's a, it's kind of exciting soon when he divulges to her that that he didn't actually kill Bran and Rick on. That's his first moment of like really breaking the conditioning. When he tells her the truth and they, they connect like, oh, well, you know, he didn't really do anything too, 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 too horrible. I mean, he, he sort of slayed Sir Roderick and everything like that and got Winterfell stolen, but at least he didn't kill Brandon Rickon. So it cuts back to outside after Ramsey deli- or after Theon delivers Rake delivers the candle to Ramsey and narks out Sansa and we get Brienne staring at the top floor of the broken tower again and no light appears. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. It's the same. It's She's standing in the exact same spot, though, when she's waiting, when the candle is lit, and then she, like, walks away right. from it. Right, she turns Stannis's away, and then it lights is, up. Yeah, like, right as she turns away. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a brutal moment. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys have sure. next? Um, I have Sam's eulogy. Nice. Which is... You know, I know we've covered Eamon's death, but I love Sam's eulogy to him, and he executes it so well. Before Eamon dies, actually, there's a couple other things that are worth mentioning. Um, it was cool how Gilly had said to Sam, she sort of realized what was going on after Eamon started hallucinating. Egg, mother's looking for you, egg. And- Silly, uh, silly. Gilly says to get some sleep and that Sam will have to speak for him tomorrow, that he'll have to give the funeral rites, basically. So 
Hannah, remember a couple episodes ago when John was like, well, talking to Tormund and he's like, well, don't you want to say something for the dead? And Tormund's like, why would they need anything to be said to them? You know, like they're dead. Like, what's that all about? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it seems like Gilly is at least familiar with the concept of funeral rites and eulogies and stuff like that. Can't imagine Craster gave too many eulogies. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, it's pretty funny. So uh, I, I like that little line and I like how Sam refused to, to leave Maester Eamon's side and he's like, he's always been good to me. I can't leave him now, uh, which is cool. And right before Eamon dies, it's, it's a, there's a really dramatic slow pan of the camera as it rises over his body and aims down on his face. And I thought the actor did a fantastic job. He sort of, his eyes look like he's, he's like sort of going from confused to suddenly comprehending something big that's happening around him. And that's when he starts talking to Egg. And Egg, I dreamed that I was old. (laughs) Beautiful acting. I think they really scored with this actor playing uh, Eamon Targaryen. Don't you think so? Yeah, he's like the perfect casting. Totally. And uh, wasn't isn't he like actually blind as well? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. And has he has he passed away in real life since since this? I don't think I've heard anything about it, but he might have. Let's uh let's check really quick. I kind of want to know. Yeah, he died. Oh, sadly. that's sad. That's really sad. Yeah, his name was Peter Vaughn and he was born April 4th, 1923. And died December 6th, 2016. That that wasn't too long after filming this scene, actually. About a year probably after that. We're lucky to have been graced with his presence on screen so late in his life. Yeah. They did like a really good job casting all of the older characters, though. Agreed. I totally agree. Like, who else are you thinking about? You forget just how perfectly Stephen Delane embodies Stannis. Oh, yeah. Like so perfectly. And apparently he has regrets about the way he played Stannis because at the time he hadn't read the books or anything like that. (laughs) And uh, he was just sort of upset with with himself for it. But I thought that he nailed everything perfectly. Because I feel like that's kind of the way Stannis is because like Davos and Melisandre are always doing all these crazy things and he's like, I can't even anymore. Yeah, exactly. Totally. I think that, yeah, Stephen Delane nailed Stannis big time, nailed him. So did you want to uh, cover the eulogy, Lady Rachel? Yeah, I I mean, I just liked what he said. (laughs) Yeah, pretty awesome. There was one line that really stuck out to me. He was the blood of the dragon, but now his fire has gone out. Very poetic. Very much so. I love that, too. And. He also says, no man was ever wiser or gentler or kinder. Yeah. And we find that he served a dozen Lord Commanders. Yeah, that's so intense, man. That's a lot. That's so many. But he was always there to counsel them. Always. So, yeah, amazing character. He was. He looked so peaceful on that pyre, in a way. Mm -hmm. like. He was getting getting things done late in life. Uh, filming this show, this is like 
got to be one of his crowning achievements being part of something so massive like this. Oh, yeah. So it's awesome. to him. Great work on this show. For sure. Yeah, he will be missed. And his work will be appreciated by millions of people going into the future. So that's awesome. Good for him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, this is two episodes in a row with a beloved character perishing, which is sad. And, and now his watch has ended. And now his watch has ended. And uh, Alistair waits no time, even as Sam has lit the pyre and Maester Eamon is starting to burn. Alistair leans over to, uh, to Sam and whispers, you're losing all your friends, Tarly. Ugh. And I'm like, wow, really? Right now? <laughs> That's Such a disrespect to someone that I think Alistair probably did have some respect for. Yeah. You'd, you'd imagine. Why would you like, not have respect for Tarly? I mean, for, he uh, did vote for Jon Snow in the <laughs> election, but yeah, that's good true. Lord. Yeah. And Sam is like, fuck. And he starts looking around at all these dudes mean mugging. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, Mutiny 2.0 is a brewing. So it works as great foreshadowing for when John dies. Because, like, of course, right before they kill him, Sam leaves for the Citadel. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's true. True. I forgot about that. So last episode was Roasted Masters Extra Crispy. This episode is Roasted Maesters Extra Crispy. Oh, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my come God. On. That's horrible. That was pretty good, though, right? There's only one letter different. How could I not make that joke? You had to. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you guys have next? I have the Slavers auction next. Nice. Do you want to talk about that, Lady Hannah? Get all of these, like, slight exaggerations on Jorah's accomplishments. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and mixing uh various stories together like he talks about oh it's actually really funny um Malco is t- saying first through the breach at the at the siege of Spike instead of Pike. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was pretty great. And uh he's slayed 50 people with his flaming sword. So we learn in season 7 when Jora meets Thoros for the first time in decades at the uh at the east at east watch when they're all up there remember jorah is saying to him oh you you came through the breach with your flaming sword and slaying people left and right it was the most badass thing i've ever seen basically i, I was just dumbstruck and awe inspired and uh, you were just so so awesome and he was like well i was just just kind of drunk you know <laughs> so you can tell that that jorah was really impressed by this because he must have added this detail into the story here that malco is 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 uh telling all these potential buyers uh because he he it was it must have just stuck out to him so much and he seemed so badass that he that's how he wanted to portray himself basically so he's like yeah with the flaming sword killing all these people <laughs> it's just kind of funny mixing his story with uh with thoros's i love how he says he killed the crate the great call drogo in single combat <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least one of his blood riders Betrayed by his woman, he sold himself into slavery to to, to replay <laughs> to repay his debts. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it's funny because he's with Tyrion Lannister, who always pays always their pays debts. his debts. Yeah, hilarious. So then we start the bidding war, 
and the slave buyer goes up to 20 and Malco's like sold oh my god yeah, like, holy that's shit. a lot <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no didn't even wait to see if anybody else would match it or anything yeah not a very good auctioneer and then Tyrion's like they're like exchanging looks him and Jorah like what do we do and Tyrion's like wait <laughs> you have to buy me as well yeah and the dude's like why <laughs> I'm a fighter too and he's like we're a team I'm a great fighter too and everyone's like yeah you're funny dude <laughs> Malco he's funny you have to give him that <laughs> and he goes okay yeah and the guy's sort of like tugging on Tyrion's chain like <laughs> in the background and then Tyrion just beats the shit out of him <laughs> and kicks him in the face yeah oh. and then looks to the buyer and the, buy- the buyer's like yep yeah, he is funny I'll All take right. him <laughs> I'll take him and Tyrion's like yes I got, got a- <laughs> he got out of having his cock chopped off yeah, and then he goes to him, my lord, if I may, I've heard marines become a free city. You might run into trouble if you try to fight slaves in the fighting pits. Yeah, like now, immediately we he's trying to pull men. strings and manipulate. <laughs> and he gets like punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now if you were to fight free men who were paid a wage. Long walks on the beach and an occasional punch in the face. <laughs> the moment way. <laughs> That's so this a great is quote. twice now that he's been punched in the face with Mormont. Oh, yeah. Except it wasn't Mormont who hit him this time. I know, but it was uh, just still funny. Totally. The occasional punch in the face. <laughs> Long, sullen silences. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. He wastes no time trying to manipulate this guy either. The guy is no. just not buying it. Hilarious. Here's your wages, funny man. Tosses him like a groat. It'll last the rest of your life. The rest <laughs> like, of your oh, life. Shit. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, man. What do you got next in your notes, Lady Hannah? Just more on Danny and Dario's conversation. Nice. It's like I think it's like they changed the dialogue slightly from the books because, like in this, it just seems like Danny, like his suggestion is that Danny rounds them up and kills them. But if I remember correct, in the books, he's like actually suggesting a red wedding type of thing. Oh, interesting. Oh. Like he wants them all to gather for a feast and then More she'd trickery. like take them by surprise and kill them. Nice. Ooh. Very interesting. That's cool. Yeah, Dario's great, man. I love that character too. Which uh which actor do you prefer, Lady Hannah? As a like likability wise, the second one is a oh. much more rootable character, but adaptation wise, the first one is much closer to his book version. Yeah, more swagger. Quirkiness. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, he With has, his, that he sort has of... like funny teeth and long Fabio like hair. And... <laughs> yeah. Euro trash Dario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite nickname for him. What is it? They call him that on watching uh, Thrones, I think. Bald move. Okay. Podcast. Pretty classic. Nice. I, that's the one when they call him like Dario Nyquilis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. The, yeah, the modern Dario because he's like boring. He'll put you to sleep. Dario Nyquilis. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's hilarious. Yeah, those guys are funny. I've met him before. They're cool, too. Cool. Yeah. So what next we have uh, Olena entering the sept. Oh, yes. Game of words. Yes. More game of words. And uh, <laughs> she's like, where would I find the high septon or high sparrow or whatever bloody fool name he's got? She's always saying something so funny. And he's like, well, it's not as good a name as Queen of Thorns, I'll admit. 
<laughs> and these guys, uh, these two actors with Jonathan Price and um, fuck, what is Elena's name? Diana. Diana. Rigg. Diana Rigg. Yeah, like powerhouse duo. I like how he's the sparrow in this um, show, and he was also in Pirates of the Caribbean with Jack Sparrow. I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I don't remember him in that. Would have been a hell of a crossover. Right? (laughs) (laughs) That would be really funny, actually. That's classic. Yeah. So I love Elena here. She goes, don't spar with me, little fellow. (laughs) Yeah, little fellow. That's great. Yeah, so she goes, you know, like, you should have the decency to kneel before the gods, or he says that, and she's like, don't spar with me. And they kind of look at each other. He goes, for me, it's the knees. You? She goes, hips. And he goes, huh. (laughs) I just thought it was so funny. (laughs) Yeah, that was a cool little back and forth. I like that, too. Yeah, so... um. She goes, a man of the people, is that your game? It's an old game. Dull and unconvincing. Totally. A man of the people. Who does Cersei's dirty work for her? Um, The people always do the dirty work. Yeah, she goes, spare me the homilies. I can smell a fraud from a mile away. (laughs) And she can smell King's Landing from even further. (laughs) You can smell the shit from five miles from here. Yeah, and the Sparrow, High Sparrow's response... A useful talent. He doesn't even deny being a fraud or anything. He's just like, yeah, that's pretty good talent to have. Pretty good idea. Yep. Just kind of funny thing to work on. And so she's like, I'm here for my grandson and my granddaughter. Right. And he has to point out that they both swore sacred vows and lied. You know, they, uh, they kind of set themselves up for this problem. Yeah. And she's like trying to figure it out. She's like, what do you want? Like, do you want gold? I'll make, I'll make you rich. Like, and what do you just, want? He just laughs. And this reminds me of that riddle that uh, Varys told the Tyrion way back in season two, was it? About the, you know, does the person listen to the, the Septon, the king, the, the master of coin? Like, is it money that motivates somebody or their faith or their honor or what? Where does power come from? And I guess it all just depends on the subject and who is, you know who is making that decision and with the high, with a high sparrow good question what where does he you know who does he listen to what's his motivation yeah for sure um and he goes i imagine this is strange for you everyone you meet has a hidden motive and you pride yourself on um sniffing it out but he's like i'm going to tell you the truth i serve the gods the gods demand justice and her and, answer is hilarious. Well, how, how do they communicate their demands? By raven or horse? And he's like, the seven-pointed star, of course. And have you read it? And she's like, fuck, yes, I've read the seven-pointed star, you oaf. <laughs> then I'm sure you'll remember the passages concerning buggery and perjury. Your grandchildren will be punished in the same manner as anyone who breaks the sacred laws. So she, she goes on... If it's a quality you want, then so be it. When House Tyrell stops sending our crops to the capital, everyone here will starve, and I'll make sure the hungry know who to blame. And that's like, damn, she's like pulling out all the stops here. Totally. She's like, have you ever, he's like mind fucking her. Have you ever sowed a field? 
have you ever reaped a grain? And she's like, no. (laughs) A lifetime of wealth and power has left you blind in one eye. You are the few. We are the many. And when the many stop fearing the few... Ugh, Talk about veiled threats. What veil? Remember? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. They had that line highlighted about you are the few, we are the many, because it's like such an ominous thing. But oh, like yeah. when Elena was threatening to starve the city, like she did that because it worked. Like during season two, that's what they were doing against the Lannisters, and it was working. But uh, you can only starve uh, the High Lords out, you can't starve the people. Wow, good connection. I like yeah, that a nice lot. One. So she walks out of there and receives a letter with Baelish's Mockingbird's sigil on it. And he takes her to the whorehouse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about the locale. She's, She's like, like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. So the next note that I have is Dorn. Ooh, nice. With Marcella and Jamie. Yep. So she enters in, I always want to call him Oreo. <laughs> oh, Ario Hota? Ario, she goes, he goes, Prince Doran hopes this satisfies your concerns about the princess's well-being. Mm-hmm. And damn, Jamie's being kept in a nice cell, huh? Yeah, but you know, Marcella is so pretty in this. I love her dress. I yeah, love it. Yeah, it's a nice dress. I want it so beautiful it's like sort of sheer a little bit sheer but like the back like the way it barely hangs onto her shoulders and it's like full open back but it has a train and it's yellow and her blonde hair she looks so pretty definitely this episode and she's like you look different from when i left you had more hair (laughs) (laughs) i love how they had her say that line because it's like lampshading the fact that marcella's been recast (laughs) oh that's so funny that's That's great yeah good call on that i didn't even realize that i totally forgotten yeah it's so funny yeah she's like you look different when i left you had more hair and he's like and more hands (laughs) (laughs) How's Tristane? She's like, he's cool. He just got punched in the face. He'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. She's confused. She's like, why is it happening at all? Right, yeah. Basically, Cersei's a little worried. We received a box with a snake with your necklace in it, and uh, it's kind of like a death threat, so we tried to sneak in. You gotta come home. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, "Uh, no, this is my home. I've been here for years. Like, stop fucking with me. (laughs) Yeah, like, I obeyed and i went and i didn't want to go and now i don't want to leave like i'm in love gotta understand her position yes a teenage girl in love being ripped out from that you're gonna have some backlash yeah and jamie's like i i don't understand and she's like of course you don't understand you don't even know me (laughs) and like runs out know me it's such like a 15 year old girl thing to say you don't know me you don't know who i am (laughs) (laughs) it's true though (laughs) in this case it's pretty true it's true (laughs) Yeah. So then we we pan over to Braun, the songbird. Yeah. And we get your Dornishman's wife song, Duncan. Brothers, oh brothers, my days here are done. Dornishman's taken my life. <laughs> but what does it matter for all men must die? And I've tasted the Dornishman's wife. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. 
And Tyene's like, he's got a good voice. She's like clapping and her sisters are like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, she likes him, man. You can tell she likes Bron. Yeah, she does. Pumping his voice and everything. And <laughs> she's, you know, they're, they're talking back and forth and they're, uh, we're lucky he's a singer, Obara says. If you were a fighter, we might have been in trouble. And it's like playing it off. He's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to, it's against my code to hurt women, right? It's amazing how many men we've beat that seem to have this code. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Tyene's asking him about asking him about his arm, and uh, he's like, "Oh, it's fine. You know, it wouldn't wouldn't feel right to leave Dorne without a new scar, which is pretty badass." And uh, she's like, "You think you're leaving Dorne?" And I'm like, "Oh shit, that's a clue. Like you've been poisoned, buddy." Yeah. She's like, "How's your arm now?" Yeah. And he's like, uh, what did you say? He's like, well, you know, there's no rush to leave Dorne. The most beautiful women in the world are here. And Tyene thanks him. And he's he's like, well, you know, I said Dornish women. I didn't say you. And this is when she starts really messing with him. I'm not the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. Name one more beautiful than I am. And he's like, well, (laughs) yeah. So he starts to talk about some woman in King's Landing, but is distracted as she slips towards the bars and starts opening her uh, tunic, revealing her beautiful skin and other (laughs) things. Keeping your attention by any boobs necessary. (laughs) Boobs. (laughs) Boobs. So she starts busting out her boobs. And uh, there was a what in King's Landing you were saying? And he's like, was I? <laughs> he's like. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, he seems to like kind of be in a trance. It's like the, the poison is starting to hit, but he doesn't realize it yet. And uh, she keeps prodding him and she's like, how's your arm now? He's like, you can seem you seem concerned with it. And how about your head as she continues to undo more and more of her clothing? And he's like, my head, you don't even want to know what's going on. And and he starts like scanning down her body with his eyes and everything starts to blur. And we realize something is not right it's here. It's like, your nose is bleeding. Oh, it must be the dry air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's when she drops the reveal. My dagger was coated with a special ointment from a shy. They call it the long farewell. It takes time to work, but if a single drop makes contact with the skin... Death. Death. And she pulls off of her necklace a tiny little capsule. The only antidote, she says. And there's a moment where with Bron as he's like sort of sunken back against the wall and fall, like fallen down to the ground and he's leaning back against the wall. He sort of reaches his hand through the bars begging for the antidote and he looks helpless. And I'm like, no! <laughs> like This can't be happening! I thought he might die when I first watched this. I was like, no! Yeah. Not Braun! And even if he like, if she chose to give him the antidote, I was worried that she was going to toss it and it was going to break and <laughs> and it like dropped to the ground and he wouldn't be able to drink it. So, for yeah, sure. I was terrified first time seeing this for sure. Like, And this is also, it makes me think that um, he's, he might die later on Sadly, because this is like uh, potentially him using his get out of jail free card. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. How many lives does Bron have? 
I don't know. He's he's flirting with death this whole series from from his first time we meet him basically when he fights Servardus Egan in the Tyrion's first trial by combat. Being the champion for Tyrion. Um just constantly flirting with death. Trying to yeah. trying to shoot Drogon with the ballista later in a season 7 and and sure. uh yeah, so I don't know, I'm worried for Bronn. I'm, you, you, I'm sure you know that, Lady Hannah, that I, I love Braun, right? Who doesn't? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Braun is the man. So, yeah, hopefully we don't see him dying. But uh, she, th- to, in order for her to give him the antidote, she's like dangling it in front of him. And she's like, who's the most beautiful woman in the world? And he's like, she's like, you, <laughs> you. Who? Sorry. I'm sorry. What was that? I can't hear you. (laughs) You don't drop it. She tosses it to him. And uh, as he sucks it down and and just like, oh my God, thank you. She tells him, I think you're very handsome as well. And it's like, (laughs) she does like him and she, she decides to save his life. She's complimenting his singing. And uh, (laughs) I think they'd actually make a pretty good couple. They're both like super into fighting and killing things and they're both like kind of freaky. It seems like, you know, uh, just be, what did Bronn say that about the Dornish fucking and fighting, right? That's like their, their obsessions. Yep. So yeah, that's perfect for both of them. That's their things right there. So that's pretty funny. Um, anything you want to add about this lady, Hannah? No. All right, so moving on to Littlefinger's brothel. And he's peeping what through a, a peephole like a creep. <laughs> At first, before, yeah, we see how just the place is trashed. And uh, he's meeting Olena. I'm sorry about the locale. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like the safest place. Not for your clientele, clearly, after clearly. what's happened. <laughs> fucking trashed and he starts like bragging about his stuff like it was an establishment like no other the sheer range of appetites catered to desires that didn't exist until we invented them like uh killing people and like like necrophilia right isn't that one of those crazy things yep yeah that's super messed up and she calls him out you've always been rather impressed with yourself haven't you and so uh they get down to brass tacks basically He's like, uh, we need to think about the future of House Tyrell. And she's like, don't fucking give me this bullshit. Like, you don't have any don't concern for that. my house at all or my grandchildren or myself. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, uh, she's, she's like, don't try to fuck with me either because, you know, our fates are joined together. We killed a king. And if my house falls, I have nothing to hide. And if I, if like, if, if some accident happens here and I you know, never emerge from this broken little flesh market, they'll never even find what's left of your body. Which is kind of a foreshadow here because she says that, um, you know, our fates are tied together. And if my house should fall, I would have nothing to hide. Well, when the Tyrell does, the Tyrell house does fall, she admits to Jamie. She goes, tell Cersei it was me. But she doesn't give up Littlefinger. She wants to take all the credit for herself just to spite Cersei and sort of snub Littlefinger, yep. too. Yep. <laughs> Which is exactly. hilarious. Yeah, I have that yeah. down, too. So kind of funny. coincidental that Littlefinger dies right after anyway. Yeah, like it doesn't That's even true. matter. 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, Which is so again, funny. their 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 fates are tied. She dies, so does and he. And he dies. Yeah, good good call. Yeah, that's that's funny. <laughs> and so as she's threatening him, he's kind of grinning as if he's just amused by this whole thing, as if she's not really a threat to him, it seems like, which is pretty wild. And he, she's she's super pissed. She assumes that he had some part in Marjorie and Loris being captured, which he does because he gave Cersei Olivar. Olivar, yeah. Which we kind of find out, but he doesn't admit it. He sort of skirts around it and he's he's like, I swear, you know, Cersei summoned me to King's Landing. I had nothing, you know, I, I dared not refuse. And what did she want? A piece of info that she knew I had. Neither silence nor lies were an option. But I have other information of which she is unaware. And as you say, our interests are aligned. I have a gift for you. The same kind I gave Cersei, a handsome young man. And this is Lancel. Yeah, Lancel with the with the dirt on Cersei. Yeah, that dirty bird. She probably says something to the High Sparrow or something like, "Oh, you should talk to Lancel about about Cersei." I imagine, like after the end of this scene that we saw, they probably continued to talk for a little bit, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, so she tips off the High Sparrow about Lancel, and then he learns the dirt about Cersei from her, and. We can get right into that next as Cersei is going to visit Marjorie in the black cells or not the black cells, but the cells under the sept. And uh, I'm remembering as she's going to visit her. Oh, fuck me. She's going to get nabbed. <laughs> she's so smug too. Here. Yeah. I love Cersei's line so much. when She's talking to Marjorie and she's like, I brought you this venison. Quite good. I had it for supper myself only last night. I just has to let Marjorie know it's leftovers. Yep. Leftovers of venison, which is stag. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. It would have just been better if it was garnished with rose petals or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> so she's like, this is horrible, unacceptable. And it's like, who do you think you're fooling? Everybody knows you're behind this. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. So uh, she's just prattling on about all this nonsense. And Marjorie's just like, I know you did this. <laughs> We're making every effort on your behalf. I swear to you by all the seven gods. And Marjorie's just not having any of it. She, Cersei's feeding up a buffet of lies and she's not going to take a bite of it. She's uh, she's like, lies come easily to you. Everyone knows that. But innocence, decency, concern, you're not very good at those, I'm afraid. Perhaps that that's why your son was so eager to Oof. cast you aside from me. Oh, man. Ouch. And that right. phrasing is so similar to Maggie the Frog's prophecy to yeah, you. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Coming and stealing sure. everything dear from you. And Cersei's just like, like. Probably a little Ugh. bit upset by that, but not showing it. You're upset. You're not thinking clearly. I'll visit again when you've had a chance to calm down. And, Get out, uh, you hateful bitch. Yeah, she starts freaking <laughs> out at her and throws the bowl of venison soup or whatever. And because she, she tells her, I don't want to see you again. Cersei's just rubbing it in. She's like, I do hope you change your mind. I've been told men often go mad in the black cells below the Red Keep. But I suppose your isolation will end once your trial begins. And Marjorie's just like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. She's like, sleep well, sister. Right. And isn't, didn't, didn't Marjorie 
call Cersei's sister at one point and Cersei responded saying like, I'll slit your throat in your sleep or something like that. If you ever call yeah, me sister she says, again, I don't know what to call you pretty soon. I won't know what to call you um, sister or mother. See, I'm pretty sure that's in second sons when Tyrion and Sansa get married. Mm. I think you're right. Yeah, that That's when she's saying, I don't know what to call you. Um, but there's another time where she's, she calls her sister like, that's right before their wedding. She goes and locks arms with her, and that's yeah, when Cersei yeah, yeah. tells her the story of Reigns of Castamere. Uh, it's the episode yeah. before um, the Red Wedding. Yeah, there you go. And now the reigns weep o'er their halls, and not a soul to hear. If you ever call me sister again, I'll have you strangled in your sleep. Perfect. So, so Cersei's happy, looking all smug, seeing Marjorie just where she wants her to be, tormented and disgraced and freaking out, basically. So Cersei walks out smiling and is taken to go see the High Septon, or the High Sparrow, sorry. And things seem okay at first. He's like, oh, you saw Marjorie? And she's like, yeah. He says, and, and she says, uh, her accommodations seem sufficient. And if she was smart, she would have said they're horrible. You need to make them better because she's about ready to have those same conditions herself. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, glad you think they're good because you're about to be, uh, ha- you're about to have similar accommodations, Cersei, <laughs> which is pretty funny. So um, <clears throat> she's asking who's going to judge them. And it'll be a trial of uh, with seven septons, like all trials before the Targaryens. That's like line hints a little bit. They never get into it in the show, but how much trouble the Targaryens had with the faith militant. Yeah, that's true. Oh, really? Yeah, nice. it used to be a big thing back in the day. Definitely. Who was it that eradicated the faith militant? Do you remember? Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It might have been Magor, but I'm not sure. Just looked it up. The Faith Militant Uprising against House Targaryen began during the reign of King Aenys I. And um, it wasn't stopped until after Magor's death. His successor, Jaehaerys the Conciliator, offered amnesty to the rebels in exchange for the disbandment of the Faith Militant. So, um, Cersei's... She thanks him for bringing them whatever justice they deserve in the eyes of the seven. And this is when the High Sparrow starts to like flip it on her a little bit. Did you know this chapel is one of the oldest structures in King's Landing? And she's like, mm, I thought I may, I think I may have heard that at some point. Baylor built his sept around it, but men worshipped her long before him. And he points to this altar with a seven pointed star engraved in it. And nothing's written on it. Nobody knows who built it. There's no name on it or anywhere else in the chapel. The people who built this place didn't inflict their vanity on the people who came after them, which is kind of an intense line. The way that Baylor did with his that great gilded monstrosity out there. It really says a lot about how intense the High Sparrow is that Baylor the Blessed isn't committed enough considering he yeah. literally right. starved himself to death. Yeah, that's insane. Great point. It's crazy. And so uh, Cersei, like, he's like, their faith was clean. And Cersei kind of <laughs> like rolls her eyes and kind of chuckles. 
Strip away the gold and the ornaments, knock down the statues and the pillars, and this is what remains. Something simple, solid, and true. The Tyrell's finery will be stripped away, their lives knocked down, their, their true hearts laid, out, laid bare for all to see, and so it will be for all of us, high and low alike. What will we find? What will we find when we strip away your finery? Oh, my God. I loved that. The second he said that, I knew she was in for it. Definitely. Tell Cersei knows something's about to go horribly wrong. Yeah, she gulps. <laughs> and she's just quiet. And I have, yeah, bitch, it's going down in my notes. Uh, foreshadowing yeah. her. This is also, what will we find when we strip away your finery? It foreshadows her literally being stripped for her shame walk, which is just kind of interesting. And so the, Cersei gulps, kind of getting nervous, and he continues on. A young man has come to us not long ago, broken in body and spirit. He had so much to strip away, so much weighing him down, but piece by piece he unburdened himself. Let go of vanity, pride, sin. Now his soul is so light he will float through the seven heavens like a bird. And Cersei kind of chuckles again, and that's when he says it. And he has much to say about you. And then perfect timing, as if somebody on the other side of that thick-ass wooden door could hear that line. The door opens up, and Lancel comes walking through and stands next to the high sparrow, like, grilling Cersei. And she doesn't <laughs> waste any time. She's like, I'm fucking out of here. Like, this is not going to go well. And she, she books it for the door, basically. Opens it up, and who's standing there? Shame. Yeah, Septa <laughs> Unella. Yeah, our first uh, time we of seeing her, right? Have you seen her in real life? Oh yeah, she's like looks totally she's, normal and she's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty it's funny. awesome. So uh, she tries to get out, and Unella is just like, uh -uh, not happening. Grabs her, it spins her around. And Cersei just starts screaming, just like Marjorie was, you know, like, let I am the queen. Immediately. Yes, let me go. I am the queen. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> yeah. You filthy. <laughs> let me go. And it's so ironic because she's not even the queen Marjorie is. And right. she just let them drag her off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're not even the queen. You, The queen who's more powerful you just got, than you just got arrested. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing you, you can do, basically. So they drag her over and throw her in a cell of her own. And she has this line to Septa Yunella. She's like, look at me. Look at my face. And she, she pauses in the door, looks at her. It's the last thing you'll see before you die. And uh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, unfortunately for Septa Yunella, this may end up be, being true. You know, we, we know that she leaves her in there with the mountain to have who knows what what horrible things done to her. But uh, Cersei's face is definitely one of the last things she's going to see before she dies. Ugh. Brutal. Crazy. That wraps up my notes. Anything else you guys want to add about anything else about this episode? No, I think that wraps it up for me too. Yeah, that wraps up my notes. All right. Then uh, stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. That's Evening Train by Pold. 
Check out his awesome music at soundcloud.com slash polled music. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. From Fortune.com, Game of Thrones is no longer the most pirated TV show. By Chris Morris. Typically, Game of Thrones tops the annual list of the most pirated TV shows, but in 2018, it didn't even make the cut. The HBO series, which produced no new episodes last year, was not among the top 10 most torrented shows as compiled by Torrent Freak. In fact, the network had just one program on the list, Westworld, went ranked eight. Topping the list is AMC's The Walking Dead is the most popular show among pirates. <laughs> Yar, matey. <laughs> Perhaps HBO's increased anti-piracy security is showing promise after Game of Thrones 2017's hacker incident. That year, the drama was pirated some 90 million times. Damn. In 2019, Game of Thrones is taking its last season bow. Here's BitTorrent's 2018 ranking by total downloads. Number one is The Walking Dead. Number two is The Flash. Three is The Big Bang Theory. Four is Vikings. Five is Titans. Six is Arrow. Seven is Supernatural. Eight is Westworld. Nine is Legends of Tomorrow. And coming in at number 10 is Suits. Interesting. Hey, Legends of interesting. Tomorrow. Vikings. Surprising. Right. Some of these. Pretty. That's pretty cool. CW is well represented. Yeah, totally. Really well represented. Moving on to Game of Thrones and history. From Yahoo. Eight mythical Game of Thrones creatures that aren't dragon wolves, that aren't dragon wolves, that aren't dire wolves or dragons. By James Graby. Daenerys' three dragons are understandably the biggest thing to happen in Westeros in centuries. Everyone thought they were good after the last of the Targaryen's dragons died out, but Danny did the impossible, to paraphrase Jon Snow. Jon has a mythical beast of his own, his direwolf ghost, although he never seems to bring it with him when we need it, or when he needs it. However, dragons and direwolves aren't the only mythical beasts in the world of Game of Thrones. Although neither Song of Ice and Fire books nor the HBO series has devoted much time to the other legendary beasts of Westeros and Essos, there's still plenty of scattered details. Some of it comes from of old Nan stories, and other info is taken straight from the world of Ice and Fire Encyclopedia, which was written from the perspective of a wise maester. Here are a few of the other animals that fill out Game of Thrones bestiary, though admittedly, dragons are probably still the coolest creatures out there. Like, you saw the loot train battle, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Number one, manticores. Manticores are one of the few fantastic beasts we've actually seen in Game of Thrones, aside from the dragons and direwolves. Although in Earth mythology, the manticore was a fusion of a lion and a bat with a human face, the manticore in Westeros is a deadly bug. Supposedly, they're found in Essos, living on jungle-filled islands in the Jade Sea. In Season 3, an agent with warlocks of Karth, an agent with the warlocks of Karth attempted to use one of the scorpion-like creatures to assassinate Daenerys, but Barristan stepped in. More recently, Oberyn Martell coated his spear with manticore venom during his duel with the mountain. Oberyn lost, oh. but the manticore eventually got him the delayed posthumous kill. 
Although the mountain doesn't necessarily die, so. Yeah, true that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, sort of, not really. <laughs> Number two is giant ice spiders. Legends of the Long Night say that the White Walkers hunted men with packs of ice spiders that were as big as hounds, according to Old Nan. In Season 5, the wildlings at Hardhome briefly discuss these horrible arachnids that supposedly live north of the Wall and in the lands of always winter. The then elder Laboda dismissed them as mere myth, but as Carsey notes, if the White Walkers are real, why not ice spiders? Good point. I would kill to see ice spiders on the show. Yes. Oh here. my god, that'd be so cool. Number three, Krakens. House Greyjoy boasts a golden kraken as its sigil, but there hasn't been a confirmed sighting of the giant cephalopods in recent times. In the third book, A Storm of Swords, Varys mentions that an Ebonese whaling ship had been sunk by a kraken off of the fingers to the east of the Vale, but Tywin Lannister brushes him off. Still, given that there's so much unknown about the dry land world of Game of Thrones, one can only assume there are such horrors lurking in the ocean depths. Damn, that's creepy. True that. I forgot that there was reports of a kraken sinking a ship off the fingers. Me too. I totally forgot about that. Super hardcore. Damn. Yeah, that. Hopefully, we get to see a kraken at some point too. That would be so cool. What's that? What was that? Could it be? <laughs> Ravens! No! <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. Maester Eamon, I believe he is the first peaceful death due to old age in the entire series. And uh, he comments about Maylie's the Monstrous. Uh, he posted a picture. Maylie's the Monstrous was one of the Blackfire, he was the last of the Blackfire line. He had two heads. Apparently, one little kind of like shrunken head on his shoulder. <laughs> but uh, Sir Matthew says, if the Smiling Knight is Barristan's version of the Joker, would this last of the Blackfires quite literally be Two-Face? <laughs> wow. Good one, dude. Like that. Nice. Two-Face. Lord Nick of House Wiccans. To your guys' point in episode 86, I think Cersei sent Sir Marin with Lord Tyrell to kill him off. Oh, yes, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Which is what Pycelle was alluding to with the council getting smaller. From Cersei's point of view, if something happens to Mace, then something happens to Loras. Marjorie would inherit Highgarden, effectively Tommenwood, topping, off, topping up their wealth. Shows that she probably had designs on Highgarden before season seven. Great catch. Yes, I love that. That's great. Yeah, really slick. She already tried to use a Kingsguard to kill Tyrion previously, or at least Joffrey did. And Marin has always been loyal to them, doing, doing dirty work previously. The Kingsguard under the Joffrey and Tom, under Joffrey and Tommen were an absolute disgrace. Basically, just glorified thugs. Hello, Duncan and Rachel. It's Zach with feedback for The Gift. This episode is much better than Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Starts off rough seeing what bad shape Sansa is in. I had forgotten that her door is locked. Theon has to put down the food, get out his keys, unlock the door, and then go in and take her food to her. 
and then lock it back when he leaves. She is a prisoner in every single way. Oh, the, the Boltons. Oh, those people. Uh, we see Reek's programming starting to glitch with Sansa being around. She begs him. She reminds him of who he is, son of Balon, heir to the Iron Islands. And she basically makes him glitch back into Theon. So that's kind of exciting to see, even though I still really hate Theon. I just don't hate him nearly as much as I hate Ramsay. Stannis' great quote about, we go forward, only forward. Man, that guy is the most hard-headed SOB I've ever seen. Only forward, through the snow, losing horses, losing men, left, right, sideways, only forward. I had forgotten Stannis' first impression of Melisandre's idea of sacrificing Shireen. He says, have you lost your mind? Oh, man. I've really kind of forgotten exactly how this plays out over the next few episodes as far as how she, how Melisandre changes Stannis' mind. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing the evolution of Stannis' thinking that ultimately leads to one of the worst moments in the entire series. Yeah, it's real hard to watch. I uh, really enjoyed Sam the Slayer standing up for his woman. Hell and yeah. Even after he, they beat the crap out of him over and over. He gets back up, <laughs> stands up, and is ready to go at it again. S- Sam the Slayer. Sam's the wolf. He, he really is one of the bravest characters in the whole show, despite he constantly calls himself Craven. An elaborate ruse. Even well past this point in the books, he still calls himself Craven. Well into uh, Feast for Crows. Cersei, of course, it talks about burning cities to the ground. She has said that line so many times recently. Burning their house to the ground, burning cities to the ground. Yeah, she's freaking obsessed. She's got that uh, Ares affection for flames, for fire, for burning shit down. We'll see what becomes of that. I'm trying to figure out exactly what handsome young man, little finger... Little Fanger. There's my southern accent coming out. <laughs> what young man Littlefinger gave to Cersei? Uh, was it Olivar? The guy who, you know, was shagging to use uh, the Queen of Thorns' words. Yeah, that's what I think. Shagging uh, Loras? I guess so, since Olivar worked for Littlefinger's brothel. But I, I, I guess I missed the fact that Littlefinger was involved in that deal with Cersei. Uh, but it's funny how last episode Littlefinger was playing bro- both sides of uh, Roose Bolton and Cersei as far as ruling the North and using Sansa. In this episode, he's playing both sides of uh, Cersei versus Lady Elena. Again, a slippery, slimy little snake, but a damn good player Littlefinger is. <laughs> That white dress that Danny has on at the fighting pit, that dress is magnificent. I mean, it is spotless. It is pristine. She's glorious. That is, I mean, just seeing it is, I don't know why I dress, I'm going on and on about it, but it's, it's really, really impressive. I mean, 
I couldn't be in something that white for more than two minutes before it had like three stains on it. But anyway, I just love that dress. I thought it was, I didn't realize the first time I watched this that what Jorah does when he comes out into the fight is he fights non-lethal. He can see how how squeamish and uncomfortable um, Danny is getting and all this fighting and all the lethal fighting. I mean, guys, are, uh, throats are getting slit. They're bashing each other's heads in. But Jor- when Jorah comes out, he starts like, you know, basically just start disarming guys, hitting them over the head. Um, you know, he takes that one guy's helmet off and hits him in the head with his own helmet. He's not killing anybody. He's just taking him out of the fight. It's the best. You know, and thus leading to uh, the end of the fight where he uh, reveals himself to, to try and get back in her good graces. But I never realized that Jorah came in and basically didn't kill anybody in that fight. He just uh, came in and beat everybody up and left them kind of writhing in pain on the ground. Because if, if he had come in and just hacked everybody's heads off, Danny was on the way out. She was about to walk out, and she was like, I'm done with this. But uh, when he comes out and starts fighting non-lethally, he kind of piques Danny's interest. The, one of the greatest lines in the whole series, I am the gift. I love when Tyrion enters here and introduces himself. Is really, really great scene. Um, I love that Marjorie calls Cersei a hateful bitch. Hundred percent on point. Marjorie has Cersei nailed down. She knows that she's behind it all, and her Cersei coming to her in the cell here is, you know, just lip service. She's not sincere. She is not sincere. She's the most insincere person. It's ever. like a cat playing with a mouse or um, something. Cersei ain't got that smirk on her face anymore. I love that so much. The ending of this episode is one of my favorite. You know, it's Same it's not up there with the big battle scenes and hard home and battle of the bastards, but as far as like a plot development, turn of event, you know, surprising turn of events at the end of an episode, Cersei getting locked up by Sept- Septa Unella or Unella, dude, I love that lady. She put Cersei in her place, and I love it so freaking much. Uh, the end of this episode, when she gets locked up, oh, it's so great. So great for Cersei to finally start to get a little bit of what she deserves. Absolutely. Looking forward to her uh, continued downfall. That's all I got. I'll keep up the great podcast. See you later. Thanks, Zach. Good to hear from you, brother. Hope you're having a good new year. All right, that's our show, episode 89. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you for listening, and thank you, Lady Hannah, for joining us today. It was such a pleasure having you on. Same. It was great. Yeah, super stoked to, to have you on the show. You'll have to come back sometime. Yeah. I'd love to. <laughs> if you'd like to donate or subscribe to support Game of Microphones, you can go to paypal.me slash podcast and patreon.com slash podcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both of those at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping, like I do every night. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, 
we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Gamer Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke the Low Duke. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. Yes, thank you guys so much. You're awesome. And a happy new year to all of you. Happy new year, 2019. <laughs> happy new year. <laughs> We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, High Romancer. She has been key behind the scenes working to get GameOfMicrophones.com up and running. She's also a world-class artist. No joke. She's amazing. So check her out. Um, She has an amazing illustrated book called The People You May See. It's a children's book and it's available now on Amazon.com. And you should check out the GRRM portrait she just released. It's badass. Yeah, it's really, really cool. We have it up on the Facebook uh, thing. I'll probably pin it to the top for a little bit. You can check out her work at fineartsbylisa.com, Instagram.com slash fineartsbylisa, and Facebook.com slash fineartsbylisa. Next episode, we'll be covering Season 5, Episode 8, Hard Home. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. While you're there, please give us a like on Facebook and ratings and views. Slap. You can listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks, Thanks for, listening. for listening. Get him out of my sight. Khaleesi, please. I just need a moment of your time. I brought you a gift. It's true, he has. Who are you? I am the gift. It's a pleasure to meet you, Your Grace. My name is Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, so Dario's thinking like a like like a G basically. He's trying to figure out what what needs to be done and how to do it even no matter how ruthless it may be. Such a great line to convey the disconnect between Danny and her people too though cuz she absolutely doesn't want them to die for her. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We're d- dying for your glory. She's like, "No, no, 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 no. No, don't do that." <laughs> Please really. don't do that. Please just walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it when he goes to walk up to her and her guards are like, back the hell up. Yeah. Yeah. You're too close, man.
And I realized at that moment that I'm like such a nerd because when I'm looking at I'm looking at the episode title, The Gift, and I'm thinking of the track of land south of the wall given to the Night's Watch by <laughs> Jaharius the First or something. <laughs> it's Tyrion. He's yeah, the gift. <laughs> totally. After surviving those the band of cock slave uh, or cock selling cock selling slavers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, if I can survive them, I can survive a Targaryen. Totally. <laughs> so we're at my number two, which is Sam Stallone, Rocky oh. Balboner, <laughs> Sam the Lady Slayer. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> Derek and Brand basically try to rape Gilly, uh, who is not super stoked about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would be moving very slowly trying to get out of there. Yes. I'm trying to make myself look as big as possible. Not that I would be in that position because I wouldn't be trying to rape somebody. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's just a flesh wound. Come back here. I'll gnaw your legs off. And things escalate rather quickly here. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. Oh, my. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Being successful and also not murdering a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the only thing that that she loves is her kids, basically, and herself. It's not okay. He's like, please, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, he cut my dick off. <laughs> like, <laughs> god damn it. He gets back out in the snow and starts thinking of you know, starts feeling the phantom cock pain, and he's just like, not, nah, not, nah, nope, not, not happening. I gotta go see Ramsey. <laughs> Okay, we can go with that. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. So, last episode was Roasted Masters Extra Crispy. This episode is Roasted Maesters Extra Crispy. Oh, Duncan. <laughs> You're just like, could you pass me some rum while I'm in this cage? I could appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's the knees. You, she goes, hips. And he goes, huh. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> Spare me the homilies. I can smell a fraud from a mile away. <laughs> and she can smell King's Landing from even further. <laughs> you can smell the shit from five miles from here. <laughs> Revealing her beautiful skin and other <laughs> Boobies. things. Boobies. Keeping your attention by any boobs necessary. <laughs> Bibs. Bibs. Oh, fuck me. She's going to get nabbed. Cersei's feeding up a buffet of lies and she's not going to take a bite of it. Although, excuse me. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true that. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of, sort of, not really. I totally just took a drink of my water (laughs) right when you said that. Amp slap! (laughs) 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.